It's time to churn, time to dip, time to spin on a dime, because we're jamming here. Coming off that great Tony Orlando Without Dawn show. Oh, did he have the jams. It was so good. But now it just puts the pressure on that we have to supersede Tony. As it is Easter Sunday. and the lockdown is still taking its toll on this city. We have not recovered. Not recovered anywhere near where we need to. I know that in walking uh, around Fifth Avenue earlier today, as I am continuing on setting a world record here at WABC, which has our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, and Margot Katsimatidis of Red Apple Media, our parent company. Uh have often said that ABC, the acronym, stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. At least for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it will. I will average eight hours per day, times it by three, and if I remember correctly from my mathematics class, that's 24 hours in which you're here in Curtis Sliwa. So let's raise the roof. Feel the energy. I heard from uh, cousin Brucey, aka Bruce Marrow, who was in studio tonight, and what a conversation we had about the old days in Brooklyn. Oh, it was so good. And then the Tony Orlando show. Does he get any better than that? Back to back, belly to belly. But when I heard Cousin Brucie talking about the fact that it is the Polish prince's birthday today, that's right, Bobby Fitton, I had a flashback. A flashback to the time in which I was invited to the birthday of Marco Katsimatidis by John Katsimatidis. And in fact, it was... A Bobby Vinton extravaganza as he and his band performed on top of Rockefeller Center. This guy, Red Roses, right? Red Roses. And how many Red Roses are being given out now on Easter Sunday? He played every instrument in the band. He was singing. He wasn't taking timeouts to give you little vignettes. And he had a move to his groove. And I got to tell you... Barry Manilow, wherever you are, it's time to retire. Because the king of Florida, where he's retired now, is the Polish prince, Bobby Vinton. And then naturally, as I was jamming on Fifth Avenue earlier today for the first time in two years, I saw the Easter Day bonnets. Yes, some of the women and yes, some of the men. Hmm. Wearing Easter bonnets. So, hey, I didn't ask them if they were cisgenders, transgenders, cross-dressers. I didn't want to start a fight right before Easter. 
But they were strutting their stuff. And then I saw some Easter egg hunts going on in the neighborhood. And I said, my God, have you seen the price of a dozen eggs in the local supermarket with the superinflation? It's like almost the price of the Fabergé eggs, the few remaining ones from the Czar and Tsarina that are sold on Fifth Avenue. But, oh, I was raising the roof. And then I figured, you know, let me go over to the ice skating ring off 30 Rock. And I looked, and I said, lo and behold, they have turned this ice skating rink into a roller disco rink up until October. And I said, where are my skates? Let me get to jamming on. Because I can remember hitting that hardwood. Oh, yeah, hitting that hardwood. And then all of a sudden, I was spinning and dipping and changing directions and jamming and crisscrossing and turning and bouncing. Oh, but uh, I had to get back here at WABC because um, I had to be on with um, Anthony Weiner. But, oh, boy, you know I'm going to be making it out to 30 Rock. Because I was thinking in my mind, ladies and gentlemen, as we conjure up the old times, the disco days, the Empire Roller Dome on Empire Boulevard in the heart of Crown Heights. How many of you, how many of you were jamming on what was called the Miracle Maple Floor? Now, truth be told, there weren't all that many white people uh, jamming on the uh, hardwood. It was mostly uh, blacks and West Indians. But let me tell you something. It was so successful for a while that at times you'd go there and you'd see the stretch limos come from Studio 54. And there was Cher in the heart of Crown Heights at the Empire Roller Dome skating around with everybody else. And then there was John F. Kennedy Jr. Remember, he was super trendy at that time. And let's not forget some of the others who made their way. And I remember meeting Ben Vereen when he was at the top of his game. And man, let me tell you something. Ben could not only dance on Broadway the great white way, he could dance with the skates on. How many of you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm tapping your brain right now. Remember the height of the roller rinks during disco. How many of you went to the Roxy? That's right. I know. Uh, eventually, it became just a regular disco. But at first, eh, yes, it was a roller dome. It was a disco roller skate arena. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, that just hearkened uh, up old memories. The disco craze of the 70s and 80s. And think, where were you, ladies and gentlemen? And don't tell me you're preparing for Easter. So that's why you're sleeping and you're tired. Because you had to go on those Easter egg hunts with your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And you were bending and you were straining and you were looking in every different direction until finally your back gave out and you had to take a Ben Gay bath and pop your dome pills. Oh, no. It's time to get up on your feet. It's time to roll and bounce. And I'll never forget the Brooklyn bounce to the tunes of Donna Summer, who dominated that disco era. 
We always thought that Donna Summer may have been a transgender, a cross-dresser. She seemed to have a huge Adam's apple. But then we find out that having grown up in uh, New Jersey, I think they're Vineland. Am I correct on that? Was Donna Summers from Vineland? That she actually became a holy roller, an evangelical, and that urban myth that she, in fact, was a transgender with a big Adam's apple? Couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And by the way, who was the godfather of roller disco? Yeah, I'm really straining your brain right now. Because I know not everybody was into roller disco. But if you went to normal discos, I know you had to sample them. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't vacate. Don't all of a sudden say, hey, that wasn't my style. Friday nights were bounce night. And you had to go to the mecca of all roller disco ballrooms, which was the Empire Roller Dome. Right down the block from the 71st precinct. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All right, so maybe you tried to get in Studio 54 and they didn't pick you at the door because <laughs> you were part of the BQE crowd or the Paradise Garage. But the roller rinks, they were so on it. And I'm trying to think right now, some of you are going to have to help me because we're talking about the tri-state area here. If I remember... There was one really good roller rink. It may still be there in Florham Park in New Jersey. It was good. And in South Amboy, there was the arena Roller Magic and the Roller Jam in Staten Island. Now, I don't know if they're still operating. So you're going to have to let me know because it's been a month of Sundays since I've been on roller skates. And you know I'm ready to go to 30 Rock now that they have a roller disco that is taken over for the normal ice skating rink there till October. And then there was Dreamland Roller Disco. I'm trying to remember. That was uh, pretty much Prospect Park. And then there was a place I remember out in Long Island, Seaford, U.S., U.S. States of America. Our number was 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And it seems immediately as we've hit Easter, the day of the resurrection uh, for for Roman Catholics and those of the Western Christian faith versus the Eastern Christian faith, which will have palms on Palm Sunday, their Palm Sunday, and then their Easter is next Sunday, and actually a continuation of Pesach. We've got to test out our apparatus because we've been having some problems. Whenever I take over the microphones, acts of sabotage have taken place. As there are certainly some people here, Frank Morano, uh, some people here who sometimes don't want me to bust it out with as many callers as possible because, remember, this program is different than other programs in that we have resurrected old-style talk radio. The New Jacks, they like the podcasts. Okay, we have podcasts, too. I'm not really a big fan of podcasts, to be honest with you, because people can't call in. It's like, you know, you're talking to yourself. I could do that in the park while feeding the many pigeons. You know, I'm the pigeon man in New York City. You got the pigeons following me from the Upper West Side where I live over to the East Side where we broadcast from on WABC. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
And I'm saying to myself right now, I'm getting a sense that we're having problems on the AM portion of our broadcast. With the 50,000 powerful watts of sound that is now reaching 38 states, parts of Canada, and yes, a little sliver of Europe, not the Ukraine. We're not talking East Europe, we're talking West Europe. And right on down at Davy Jones's locker in the Bermuda Triangle between Bermuda and the Bahamas. And in talking, uh, in talking to Cousin Brucey earlier tonight, I said, where was your first radio gig? Because I'm a little, uh, a little confused. And he said, Bermuda. That's where I got my first job. I was sending in my demo tapes to a magazine. I forget the name of it. He told me, he said, and hoping that somebody out there would listen to my demo tape and give me the opportunity. And believe it or not, it wasn't a station here in New York City. It wasn't a station anywhere from Washington, D.C. up to Boston. Uh, It wasn't a station down in Florida, although eventually he made his bones there briefly, like so many other great New York broadcasters, Larry King being one of them. Oh, and I was regaling uh, Cousin Brucey in the Larry King uh, story that he had told me a long time ago. He said, you know, I got a gig down in Miami, spinning stacks of wax. That's when it was uh, freeform radio. You know, you play the whole album. And all of a sudden, I got a call at the station because I was doing overnights, just like what I'm doing right now, the other side of midnight, a weekend edition. Uh, And he's spinning uh, stacks, and all of a sudden, a call comes in, a call. And it's from a sultry-voiced female that had been watching him go in and out of the studio where they were broadcasting from, which was right near Biscayne Bay. And the woman said, you know, I'm really, really fond of you, Larry. Uh, He said, how did you know my name? Oh, I've been watching you. You know, right now my boyfriend is away on a business trip. And if you could sort of come on over, I might be able to entertain you. So Larry King... Uh, just checked the turntable, said, oh, I got at least 25 minutes here. Went over to the uh, her apartment, which was just two blocks away. He had the urge to merge. And halfway through his urge to merge, as he was fornicating and copulating, uh, the record began to skip. Now, the old Altachachas uh, in Miami, Miami Beach, were complaining. They're calling up the police department. They say, the police department, they're calling up Miami Beach Police Department, which you might as well call the Beverly Hills cops for all that'll do. Hey, my music is scratched. It's, it's, it's just going round and round. So the general manager shows up. And then Larry King schleps back, and, you know, he's trying to put on his jacket and all that, and he's got lipstick on him, and... General manager goes, hey, where you been? And he thought fast and said, boy, I can't come up with any excuse for not being there. We said, well, you know, you're fired. And that was Larry King's first opportunity in radio. Like a lot of New Yorkers who made their bones down there, like our own cousin Brucey, who after getting his start in Bermuda, not the Bermuda Triangle, not down in Davy Jones's locker, was then able to get a gig, I think, at WINZ. Pretty sure that's it. W-I-N-Z in Miami. And then you know the rest of the story as he made his uh, route back here to his home, away from home, which clearly was New York City. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So it was great to be in the uh, 
actually to be in the aura of one of the greatest broadcasters of all time in radio who's still kicking it four hours every Saturday night, 6 to 10, after his protege, Vinnie Maduno, who's on from uh, 5 to 6. Great show, I might add. Uh, and then, naturally, Tony Orlando without Dawn from 10 to 12, who was, like, really kicking the jams tonight. Really kicking the jams. Our number is one 800 But I'm trying to solicit from all of you, I need a little music. I need a little accompaniment here. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, can any of you identify this classic disco skate song? Bounce, rock, skate, roll. Who did it? What was the great group that did it? Because this was number one for a summer. Not going to ask you what year it was. But remember, the height of disco was 70 to 80. And in about midway in that period, disco in the roller rinks just sprang into action. 1-800-848-9222. And that old school roller disco is back, believe it or not, at 30 Rockefeller Center. They no longer have the ice skating rink, which was the tradition. They haven't had a roller skating rink there since 1940. Since my father proposed to my mother, Chester, to Francesca, before he went away to war, like so many in that generation. And they were lucky enough uh, first to get married at St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is right across the street. But they were actually looking at a roller rink at that time. He told me, I said, get out of here, Dad. No, 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 it was a roller rink. No, Dad. It's always been an ice skating rink. He goes, I'm telling you, when I proposed to your mother, it was a roller rink. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I know that some of you had to be doing spins, dips, had to be changing direction on the dime on your skates. You had to be jamming and crisscrossing and turning. And let me give credit to a number of our listeners who have helped keep that effort alive as you go into Central Park. Oh, yeah, Central Park. They've got a group there that is always jamming. The Central Park skaters. They are some of the best skaters that I have ever seen. The Central Park Dance Skaters. They put on a show. doesn't cost you anything. You could show up if you're good enough because you don't want to be a poop hut out there. And I got to tell you, they kick some of the best dance jams that I have ever heard. I'm not only talking about Donna Summers. Man, I heard this one time. It was really, really good. It was a hot, sweltering summer day. And I heard Disco Circus by Martin Circus. Does anybody, uh, does that ring a bell? Oh, that's a classic dance song on roller skates. Disco Circus. And boy, the Central Park dance skaters were putting on a show. It was so good. I got to tell them. And then if I remember correctly, it was Shalimar's. Shalimar's right in the socket. Now, what do you think that song meant? Right in the sock. And Prince's, I want to be your lover. And my all-time favorite, Chic. Good times from 1979. Oh, so good, so good. Roller Disco is back. Rockefeller Center. As I walked up Fifth Avenue today, 
And the ladies, and yes, even some of the men, had on their Easter bonnets. And there were little bunnies, little kids dressed as bunnies running around with colored eggs. And I asked them, how much was that egg in the supermarket? You know what a dozen eggs cost? Don't drop it. Don't drop it. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Sharon, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sharon. Hey, Kurt. Um, I want to tell you, you forgot to mention Twin City back in night in the 80s. Oh, oh, forgive me. You May- remember? Mayor Copa, Mayor Copa, Mayor Maxima Copa. I, now, I remember. Where, where are you calling from right now in Jersey? East Orange. Okay. East Orange. I remember. Didn't they have a uh, rink, a roller skating rink in Branch Brook Park? They still do. Oh, they yes. do? Yes. Oh, I got to go there. Now, are they jamming there? Are they jamming there in Branchville Park? I think I believe they still do. I haven't been there in a long time. But no, I, I know. I know, I know. But that you know, that's called Forest Hills, the Forest Hills section in Newark in the North Ward. A lot of people say, oh, Forest Hills, come on, what are you talking about? That's in Queens. I say, no, 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 no. Uh, Branchville Park Hills, yes. is right next to Forest Hills in Newark. Yes. Sharon, you got to check it out. You got to let me know. Well, Twin City back in the day was like Soul Train. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you see, like, uh, I know, but really nice. like some of my favorites. Uh, uh-huh. And I would have to say that clearly the top spot uh, of all was the Empire Roller Dome. But towards the end, it got a little dicey. I'll tell you why, Sharon, because some of the guys were having guns and knives smuggled in, taped to the thighs of their girlfriends. So that if yeah. they were, were going to try to get you on the roller rink floor, you figured like, oh, he, he doesn't have a weapon. And then all of a sudden, he go right up to his girlfriend, you know, with those uh, those thunder thighs. And you say, wow, those mm-hmm. are big thighs. Yeah, they're big because they had guns and knives that were taped to them. <laughs> Am I right, Sharon? Am I right? <laughs> Let me get that music here. Let me get I wish I was on the roller rink right now. In fact, I used to call it the Maplewood Roller Rink, which was the best wood to be skating on. And I'm telling you, Sharon, as you were making the rounds, I would be circling you like there was no tomorrow. And all of a sudden, you would see me spinning, dipping, changing direction, crisscrossing, turning, jamming. That's right. <laughs> and you would say, Sean, man, that white boy's got some move to his groove. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see if Corey Booker can do that. All right, Corey, you think you want to come out to the roller rink? You think, you think Corey Booker, the U.S. Senate, has ever been on a roller rink, Sharon? No, I don't think so. No, look at him. Come on, you can tell. You can tell. I can tell you have been, maybe. Ooh. I can tell you have been. Yeah, well, you know, before I hit the roller rink, and I got to go to Branchbrook Park again and check out the roller rink there, I hit Club Zanzibar downtown in Newark. Oh, yeah, my. I remember that. Right? <laughs> now, let me tell you something. It was a tough club for anybody. But for a white boy coming in from New York City off the PATH train, with the platform shoes, the bell-bottom pants, the polyester waffle-weed flame-retarded shirts. Woo! It was rough. It was but it was, like, where are you going, right? <laughs> right, it was worth it. It was worth it, I'm telling you, Shan. Really? The music in the club Zanzibar. I couldn't even hear music like that in New York City. 
It was so good. So, Sharon, you have homework, Easter homework from Curtis Slewa. You got to go down to Branch Brook Park when you can. One time uh, allows it. And let me know if they're still jamming in Branch Brook Park in that roller skating ring. Please, please. Okay, okay. Definitely. Well, thank you. Thank and you, I sir. think you're wonderful. Oh, well, appreciate that. You're a wonderful person. Thank you. In fact, I maybe... we talk about Frank me, a lot, but... That, well, <laughs> well, you know, I've always been fighting. But you know what I think I'm going to do? If it's still out there at Branchbrook Park, I think I'm going to challenge Cory Booker to put on those roller skates because he's always looking for a boo. You know, Sharon? Right, right. He's always looking for a boo because his recent boo dropped him like a bad habit. And he'll hook up if he knows how to skate. You know what I mean, Sharon? Yeah. Right. Ooga, ahuga. Right here at W. This is my favorite jam. Give me my skates right now. I am ready to go. And, you know, you had two different kinds of skates, which, uh, well, you had the roller blades. You could go faster with them. You could uh, achieve more distance than your normal roller skates. But I got to tell you, when this song, this jam would come on, 1979, it was number one in the summer. Everybody was clicking to this song. Everybody chic. Good times. Yes. Let's get together. How about a quarter to ten? Come tomorrow. Let's all do it again. Of course. Boys will be boys. Yes. Better let them have the talk. When we were boys. Girls will be girls. Cute ponytails and girls. Yeah, when girls were girls. Oh, we didn't have to think about cisgenders. Are you a cross-gender? Are you a transgender? As long as you could skate, as long as you could get out on that maple wood floor, and you could twist, and you could turn, and you could spin, and you could reach down and touch the wooden floor, and then all of a sudden jam up, crisscross, and turn. Oh, you a pro-style. Pro style, didn't matter what your color was, everybody in the joint would say, wow. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Giuseppe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, uh, uh, Florham Park is still open. I've been wanting to go there. They closed one on Route 22 here in New Jersey. But I've, I've skated at uh, Hyde Park Roller Magic uh uh, pretty often there was one in uh, Accord, New York, which they closed. And I, the one in Accord, I, I kind of knew the DJ from other things, and uh, I went there with him and his wife one time. But you uh, know, you know, um, Joe, everything goes full circle now that the roller disco rink has replaced the ice skating rink at the venerable Rockefeller Center, Thirty Rock. You you should think about going down there and strutting your stuff. Oh yeah, I you know I I went there to, to kind of exercise and it's it's good and I if you have to skate on concrete uh, over there it's a lot better with rollerblades if you're there with quads it's like skating on sandpaper you, 
you know, you go a lot faster. And also, it was a time where the music wasn't about shooting, wasn't about guns, it wasn't about mad money, mad money, booty call, booty call. It was just like really good dance music. Like you heard Sheik say, when boys would be boys, when girls would be girls. Now, can you imagine they would have to redo that song and probably have 32 categories that would fit in between? Yeah, well, and also, you know, uh, I mean, I've heard people blast the music today, and uh, uh, it's full of uh, it's full of obscenities. Uh, You wouldn't want that anymore. No, no, I'm 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 urging you, I'm urging you, Joe. Since you're old school like me, if Rockefeller Center is going to have roller disco, where the ice skating ring has been a tradition since 1940 then it's time for all of you to go because, you see, if you go and they see it's very popular again, you know what happens. Imitation. People are going to want to imitate it. Businessmen and businesswomen are going to say, wow, look at the roller rink there at Rockefeller Center. It's packed. People are really enjoying themselves. And then all of a sudden the tourists who haven't themselves been on roller skates for a month of Sundays, uh, they'll want to get out there. And I'm telling you, it could cause a revival. See, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, U.S. Skates of America is still open out in Seaford. At one time, there were so many roller disco uh, rings. Now, the one that should never open up again. Ha! His skate key in the Bronx. They think they closed that in 2007. That, there you would get lead poisoning. Anybody out there been a skate key in the Bronx? Now, that was dangerous with a capital D. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Louise calling from Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Louise. Hi, how you doing? Listen to you last night. Listen to you tonight. I live in South Amboy. I'm 78 years old. I've been roller skating at South Amboy rink since I'm like 16, even before maybe. And it's still going strong. It's a little rink, but people go there every week. It's open, I would say, five days a week, okay? And it's just... And it's great. Louise, it's great exercise. You're 78. You've been roller skating in the rinks since you were 18? 16. Wow. Wow. And you feel... I can't do it now. I can't can't do it now. I can't roller roller blades. I had the old... Four, four wheels roller skates with the pom pom on the front of your toe. Yet yeah, that was the thing for the girls to have little oh, fancy oh. pom poms on the. That's toe that, the oh, I remember that. I remember that. And, and you know, I want to say to you last night when you're talking about all the old shows on TV, the kids shows and stuff. I started with Howdy Doody, which was like 1948. Watching that, and there was a fellow, Dick Jones, who was the voice of Pinocchio. For Walt Disney's film, I was vice president at his fan club, and he was with Gene Autry and this other guy, Jack Mahoney, and Roy Rogers, and Hoppy. Like you said, everybody was babysat by the TV, and I was sat at my grandmom's, and my parents were working, and they were my babysitters, and I still watch Westerns today. I love Westerns, and they showed you the right thing 
what to do morally and everything, too. They had good little shows for kids back then. Oh, no, no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right, Louise. I only wish you could get back on the uh, the uh, maple wood again and be able to strut. Uh, I need a little uh, music. Let's go back. We still don't have the name of what we started the program out with. Uh, I'll give you the name of the song. That might help. If you could give us the name of the group responsible for this classic roller disco jam that was number one in the nation. Bounce, rock, skate, roll. Bounce, rock, skate, roll. Oh, very easy. You could be a moron and be able to repeat those lines. As you go round and round and round... It was endless, it was joyful, it was euphoric, it was a mood elevator as you would spin and dip and change directions on a dime and jam and crisscross and turn. Oh, it was so good. And people would come and they just love, love to be able to skate and dance simultaneously. All of this music wasn't advocating violence. Although I will have to admit from time to time, it would get a little violent out in the parking lot. Especially if you bumped a Gavon a few times and he deserved it. Knocked him right on his tuchus. Like it was roller derby and not a disco roller rink. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jeff, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Hey, Zone. Listen, we used to hang out... The Long Island Arena, right next door, was the roller rink. And where was that? Where was that? Comac. Comac, Long Island. And how was it? It was a Friday night, Saturday night. We used to jam. We used to, oh, my God. We had so much freaking fun. That's when Saturday Night Fever came out. That's right. And that's, uh, if I remember correctly, Cher, who used to go to the roller rink, surprise everybody by showing up after leaving Studio 54. I think she had a, a classic for the roller rinks called Hell on Wheels. Yep, those, those were the good old days. I, 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 that's what I, I, tell, I tell my kids all the time. You guys have no idea what fun's all about. It didn't cost much, Jeff. You rented the skates because, let's face it, most people couldn't afford the skates. And then again, sometimes the skates would break. So if you had a rental, they would end up fixing it. They came in all different sizes. It was just great. It was absolutely great. And you met a lot of people that you wouldn't normally ever meet because you had the love of disco, but you also had the love of skating. Well, we had so much fun. It was I mean, back in my day, we had Northport. We used to fight with Comac. They used to fight with Elwood. But once we all got together in the rink, we all had fun. That's true. That's true. I remember the first time we went to High Rollers, which was on 57th Street in Manhattan. And that was a pretty rough crowd because they were coming from uptown and also they were coming from their Brandeis High School, that area there. But if you could skate. You see, if you had style, they would all stop and they would just watch and they would marvel. And it wasn't like when you went to a normal disco and you were dancing with uh, all the young ladies, especially a lot of the guys wouldn't dance. If you went to a roller disco, you couldn't sit on the side. You had to skate. You had to dance. You had no other choice. Right, Jeff? 
That's absolutely correct. And if you went to the disco, I used to call the, the guys that would sit there and watch Wallflowers. <laughs> I used to call them Wallflowers. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I would be. I don't think I'd be calling them wallflowers because they'd want to turn me and put me on the wall as if I were a flower. Oh, this make this gives me knockus, knockus. I'm remembering those days. People were having fun. It wasn't life and death. To put aside your differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were always some racial problems, ethnic problems, but you know. If you were good at skating, it seemed like all of a sudden that got wiped away. I'm trying to remember some of the classic movies that came out that featured roller disco. I think it was Xanadu in about 1980 and Roll Bounce and, and quite a few of them. Any of you uh, can fill in, uh, fill in the gaps of the different movies that appeared back then in which the performers uh, were out there on the uh, maple floor on the roller disco floor, please let me know. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go quickly to Darren, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard on WABC. Hi. Two movies I could think of was Roller Boogie and Skate Town USA, oh, 1980. I remember Skate Town. Thank you for that. Roller Boogie and, and Skate Town. Yes. Vaughn Mason is the name of the, the artist that does uh, Bounce Rock Skate Roll. Oh, that now, is this something you used to like to groove to? Yes. All the, I used to go to High Rollers in, back in 1980 when I was a teenager. And uh, I used to go to Rainbow Roller Rink here on Staten Island. Now, uh, is there a rink that is still open in Staten Island? I thought it was Roller Jam, but... There, yeah, yes, there is. Roller Jam is called. Boy, you know, I believe you had such great fun, Darren. I know a lot of our listeners had, and I had great fun, that with Roller Disco now opening up in Rockefeller Center where the skating rink normally is till October, if they get crowds there and if they see that it is very, very cash efficient. Because, you know, a lot of people, if they, especially if they come with cash, not just uh, plastic. This, right. It's going to put the mind, uh, it's going to put that little bug in a lot of entrepreneurs' head that, you know, everything, it comes full cycle. Nothing is ever new. It just comes full cycle. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see a roller disco or just a roller dome uh, in each and every neighborhood, not just in the five boroughs of the city of New York, but all throughout the tri-state area. It's really good, healthy fun for the kids and the young adults. In fact, Curtis, I still got my roller skates, my roller skates from 1980. You I do? Them. <laughs> yeah, I do. You yeah. got you to gotta oil them up, you know, Darren. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to be. You don't want to be squeaking out on the roller yeah. dance floor. But Darren, oh, you, if you get a chance, come down to Rockefeller Center, Thirty Rock, right where I would love to. Right, even if it's just to watch them, because you know normally it's the ice skaters, and let's face it, a lot of us didn't really ice skate all that much. But one thing we did was roller skate in the streets, on the sidewalks, and when we were older enough. We went to the nearby Roller Dome and just started jamming out. Right. Yep. Oh, thank I remember you. those days. Thank you for the memories, Darren. Thank sure. you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, am I missing any of those hot spots that used to take up so much of your leisure time, that gave you so much knockers, gave you so much joy? With all the depressing news about us, you know, the Ukraine, the high crime in the city, this is something that brings you back to a place where you can put away all your cares, all your troubles, anything that was bothering you. The music was pumping. You heard it. You could see the tweeters and the woofers actually vibrating because the music was so loud, but not too loud. And then all of a sudden you got into a skate that would simulate the actual beat. And then you started turning and you realized you weren't going to fall on your tuchus. Because let's face it, uh, not many people were wearing pads on their tuchus. That was your natural pad, your dupa and your tuchus. But oh, it was one of... Hey, they were some of the best times that I've ever had in my life. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Al calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Al. Yeah, Curtis. How you doing? Good morning, Mike. No, not how you doing. I'm sorry. Good morning, good morning. Curtis, listen, I got a couple of things to tell you. I want to finish up with something with, about you and Nancy. If you could figure it out, I'll mail you something. But I'll get to that in a minute. I used to go to Park Circle in the 60s. I think I was about 14 at the time. Oh, yeah, Park and, Circle. Yeah, Park Circle, Prospect Park. That was and good. It was, yeah, like, you know, like everybody's saying, you know, the good old days. And you know what? They had two things that came to mind when you brought this up today. The first thing was, all my fr- I was the guy that never picked up girls. So with that in mind, they had that big neon board. And you were allowed it. Th- you could dance single. You could dance with a couple. You could- so I knew, you know, my friends picked up the girls. I was always, when it came to couples, I was standing around by myself. You weren't allowed on the floor unless you had a girl with you. You know? But the other thing is, I remember one day I was there, and I, I'm not kidding. I remember like it was 60 years ago. I skated right into the women's bathroom. <laughs> the, men's and, the men's and women's bathroom right next to each other. <laughs> and I skated right into when the girls, like, they freaked out. I mean, they didn't throw me out of there. I didn't do it on purpose. But And uh, the other thing, too, is... You know, it's funny, too. You talk about skating. You don't worry with kids. We take the milk boxes and put our skates on and make our skate, you know, the uh, with the with the, uh, with the uh, bottle caps and all that. And have a little secret compartment in the milk box. And now they got these skating. They got these skating areas for these kids. They're unbelievable with their skateboards. Yeah, and, and, and everything. And also everything. Uh, everything is scheduled. Everything is scheduled. It's like scheduled time for the kids, scheduled time for the grandkids. They didn't just say, hey, I got nothing to do tonight. I'm going to go to the roller rink. I'm going to have a good time. Because it wasn't that costly. If you had a little coin in your pocket, not that much, you could go and spend the whole night. You rent the skates, and then obviously you'd have time to be able to skate around, but you certainly schwitzed up. Yeah, it was good exercise, great cardio, great music. You weren't being told to go shoot people, steal money, rape people, kill people. It's like music like this. Bounce, rock, skate, roll over and over and over by Vaughn Mason and his crew. 1-800-848-9222. It's coming back, ladies and gentlemen. 
The roller disco rink has replaced the ice skating rink at 30 Rockefeller Center till October. And it was jamming today. I was like, I'm looking at the Easter, uh, the Easter bonnets, you know, women wearing it on Fifth Avenue. Some men too. Uh, and then the kids dressed up like little uh, uh, Peter Rabbit and Cottontail. And then all of a sudden, great music and they're skating and they're churning and turning. Let's go to Andrea, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Andrea. Oh, thank you, Curtis. Um, I grew up in Paramus, New Jersey, and we moved there when I was five, and we went to the roller rink on Route 17. So I'm going back now to the early 1960s. I don't know if any of your listeners uh, were in Paramus and Young at the time, but I remember going there with my older sister, and we used to go every Friday and Saturday night and skate away, and we loved it. It was oh, terrific. It was great. Yeah, it was away. clean. Uh, it yeah. was uh, almost trouble-free. Like any time you get a lot of young people together, there's going to be trouble. But not like not like it got later on when the, the rap crap came about. And now you have yes. shootings and, oh, it's, it's a horror. Well, thank you. Thank you for the memories, Andrea. Let's go to Juan in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Juan. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? Listen, uh, uh, um, um, it was 1977 at uh, 149th Street and Brugner Boulevard was an old warehouse. And uh, some guys... Uh, uh, painted it, uh, you know, um, and fixed it up, and they made a roller ring there. And uh, that's where I met my first wife. Uh, see, that song, We Are Family, was like top of the charts uh, back then. And uh, uh, she started uh, trying to uh, roller skate with me. And Ada, he... He, her boyfriend, eight of his friends beat me up. I woke up in the uh, the New Lincoln Hospital, which was like, <laughs> I think it was his first year that it was there. Yeah. <laughs> so you see, you try to snack on her. Meantime, she came with another guy. So Juan, we would say, tough noogies. You were trying to snack on another guy's young lady. So you know the code of the roller rink. Keep your hands to yourself, pal. Up next, it's a fabulous show by Frank Morano, The Other Side of Midnight, the best of, aired earlier on Saturday, right after me and Anthony Weiner. And it had to do with John Lennon seeing a UFO. We'll get into all of that up next. Oh, you remember John Lennon, Yoko Ono? I remember they were co-hosting <laughs> the Mike Douglas show out of Philadelphia when Roger Ailes was his producer in the 60s for the full week. And they brought on every freak friend they had. This was the Mike Douglas show, and he rolled. Mike Douglas rolled, but... John Lennon was a fixture here in New York City, and believe it or not, like you, love talk radio. Love talk radio. He was living at the Dakota at that time with Yoko, who did not like talk radio. Not at all. 
So she would shriek when she would hear him turn on the talk radio. Remember, the terrestrial radio didn't have the stream back then or the app like you have it now. And sometimes she would get so angry, she'd start screaming at the top of her lungs. And he'd have to revert to listening like all of us did to the little Sony transistor radio and hope that Yoko would go take a walk in Central Park and leave him. And uh, as he would take uh, his uh, daily constitutional, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, what does constitutional mean? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But Yoko Ono would take her daily constitutional in Central Park in which she would commune with the birds, the bees, the flowers. And John Lennon would be listening to talk radio station at that time. This is in the 70s. WMCA, that was the big talk radio station. And in the afternoon, it was the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, which drove him nuts, as you can imagine. Bob Grant being conservative, John Lennon being the equivalent of a Democrat socialist of America right now, a justice warrior, AOC move over, all out crazy Alexandrio Cortez. It would have been John Lennon and Yoko Ono if they were still alive today. But what he would do is he would listen to talk radio and he would be so angry at what Bob Grant was saying in the afternoon that... From time to time, he would leave the Dakota on his own. No bodyguards. No Yoko, thank God. No Yoko. And he would walk over to 6th Avenue and at about uh, 56th Street. And that's where the studios of WMCA were. And they didn't have security officers back then. Nothing. They had like a doorman. That was it. He'd walk in, uh, WMCA, and the, the guy, the doorman, was like stunned. You're John Lennon. Yeah, can I go to WMCA? And he would go up the elevator, and all of a sudden, he would knock on the door, and the board operator at that time would come running out. This was at night. Come running out. And who do you think the board operator was at that time who would one day become the number one TV star in America? A board operator from the Bronx. That's right, board operators in every radio station in America. You could say, maybe one day you too will be the number one TV sitcom star in America. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So the engineer opens the door. He goes, oh, my God, it's John Lennon. He said, uh, do you think Alex would mind if I come on the air with him? Mind? Are you kidding? At the time, the program, uh, the theme song was, do you want to be a bird? Alex Bennett, he was a radical. So far left, complete opposite of Bob Grant in the afternoons. And in fact, I'll never forget, I would be listening to Alex Bennett at night, and he actually supported the Symbionese Liberation Army. You remember with Patty Hearst, Sin Q, the leader who was going to take over the world. He's like the only nut job who supported him. So here it is. John Lennon goes into the studios and starts having a conversation with Alex Bennett about things that Bob Grant had said in the afternoon. And he's there for like an hour or two. You know, like, who's going to tell John Lennon to go home to Yoko? And by the way, maybe that's the reason he wanted to be at WMCA to avoid being with Yoko. 
Can you imagine that? And the station, very similar to ours now, a family-owned operation. Uh, John and Marco Katsimatidis of Red Apple Media, that's our uh, parent uh, parent company, uh, WABC, obviously the crown jewel. But it's a family operation, a family business. Back then, it was R. Peter Strauss, very liberal. Uh, the Strauss family owned WMCA. Ironically, it turned out that he was the stepfather of Monica Lewinsky. Now, you know the rest of that story with Bill Clinton. So he was asked, you know, what do you think, uh, this older guy, the president, Bill Clinton, you know, having sex with your uh, stepdaughter? And R. Peter Strauss said, for public, for public consumption, He's a good supporter of Israel. I'm not going to say anything bad about Bill Clinton. Plus, he was very liberal, very progressive. Boy, how ironic that was. And then you know the rest of the story. John Lennon out there for his constitutional. And by the way, what is a constitutional? I can see we've got to revive the thinking process of so many of our listeners, so many of you. This is the time for resurrection. For years, all you have been is a um, a slug. Let's call it what it is. I'm not going to mince my words. You sit there, you listen to the program, and you never, never, ever reach for your cell phone. Or some of you still have the old-fashioned landline. And decide you're going to call the radio station. The radio station. Yeah, you too can call. Only 1% ever bother to call in a lifetime of talk radio listeners. Only 1%. That is so paltry. And yet you have an opportunity here because this entire six-hour program, the 24 hours uh, that I've been given this weekend, which once again makes the acronym on the weekends always broadcasting Curtis WABC, But most of it is involved in you talking so that you can be heard and you can add to the conversation and tell us things that we didn't know, that even experts might not add if they happen to be guests of the format. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So we know what happened. John Lennon gets killed uh, by uh, a monster who had come in from uh, Hawaii who uh, was hell-bent on death and destruction. By the way, uh, what was his name? Little hint, never trust anybody who has three names. Never trust anybody who has three names. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And John Lennon went to the hereafter. But before that, before that, John Lennon apparently, like so many of you, because I listened, to the other side of Midnight with Frank Morano, and one of his specialties is he talks about the little gray aliens and the unidentified flying objects. He has a a panoply of different experts and people who have experienced the UFOs or have experienced the illegal aliens who come from outer space because they are illegal aliens. You know, if we're going to call the people who bum-rush us from south of the border across the border between Mexico and, and Texas and California and New Mexico and Arizona, if we're going to refer to them as illegal aliens. You come from some planetary uh, osmosis out there. You're an illegal alien. So Frank Morano has quite the show. He delves with that. So after uh, my appearance today with Anthony Weiner, it's appointment radio, 2 to 4 on Saturdays. If you can't listen at that very time, you want to go to the podcast. 
But he follows with the best of the other side of midnight. And uh, this afternoon, I was listening earlier this afternoon, and he had on a guest who was talking about John Lennon having experienced seeing an unidentified flying object. By it. I mean, immediately after this sighting, which was in August of 1974, he told all his friends about it. He called people about it. He had uh, he got in touch with the police department and, and with uh, journalistic sources, and he wrote songs about it. Uh, in fact, his next album that came out after this 1974 sighting was an album called Walls and Bridges. And he even wrote on the album cover uh, about the and, and drew in a, one of his little doodles about seeing the UFO. And if you remember, literally up until his death in 1980, he was working on a song called Nobody Knows uh, that in that involved the lyric that said there's UFOs over New York and I ain't too surprised. So, yeah, I think it changed his life. I, I really do. Hmm. OK, that was a very good beginning. Uh... And then, naturally, Frank Morano asked the question that he should have asked because I was uh, a little flummoxed. I was a little put out because, you know, you could see anybody claim to see a UFO. But was there documentary, documentary evidence that there were others, along with John Lennon, who saw that unidentified flying object at the very same time, huh? Did, did other folks witness that particular John Lennon UFO sighting? Uh I've had a hard time tracking down specific people. I would love to be able to say I've talked to a bunch of them. That has not happened. However, at the time, he uh, did have a friend call the police department about it. Uh, He didn't want to call the police himself because he thought, uh, well, they'll just say, hey, it's John Lennon calling about a UFO. And he, he didn't think he'd get very far with that. But his friend called and the police that he called. Uh, said that they'd had two or three reports, and they also talked to uh, one of the uh, local papers, and I'm, it's escaping me which one it was right now. Maybe Daily News, I'm not sure, uh, but they said they'd have like seven or eight other reports on it. So he wasn't the only one based on that, but I haven't been able, I would love very much to be able to get somebody on the record, and, and if I ever do, I'll record them and we'll, we'll play Wonderful. it on your show. That'd be great. Now, this is where I became very jaundiced. Well, apparently there were a few other people, but John Lennon didn't want to call the police. Ah, I don't buy that. And let's face it, Frank Morano, he wasn't even birthed at that time, I think, because we still don't know how old he is. Uh, But looking at his Facebook, he's got that graduation picture up from Tottenville High School, the Purple Pirate from the South Shore of uh, Staten Island, Uh, and I guess if you were to assess his age by his high school graduation uh, photo, he's young. But we still don't know how old Frank Morano is. I'll let people can continue to debate about my age. That's oh. something society will never know. Oh, really? Yeah, like my wife Nancy. We don't know her age. Like I heard earlier tonight, Cousin Bruce, he wouldn't give out his age. What is this? Is this in the air here at WABC? Nobody wants to acknowledge how old they are. The king... Of uh, Stacks of Wax, Cousin Brucie, Frank Morano, the golden child, the future of talk radio, as the suits tell me, and my own wife, Nancy, who you will hear, remember, in the Animal Welfare Hour, the most listened to, the most requested, the most called into of the 24 hours that I will have been doing over the Easter and Pesach weekend, starting 
Friday morning when I substituted for Frank. We're going to get into what he's doing in Atlantic City, shooting craps and teaching other gamblers how to lose at craps. Oh, yeah. That's right. Very interesting. You're not going to want to miss this. But, you know, I'm very suspicious when anybody says they see a UFO, especially if they're a rock star. Because, you know, let's face it, rock stars have polluted their minds with all kinds of chemicals or natural products that could give them a drug-induced psychosis. How many of you out there remember Bob Dylan? That's right, Bob Dylan, who was always changing religions. One moment he's a holy roller, next moment he's with... Menachem Schneerson, that's right, of the Lubavitches at 770 Eastern Parkway. And then all of a sudden he becomes a Christian again and back and forth and back and forth. You know, Bob Dylan one time claimed that he saw Jesus walk into his hotel room. <laughs> that was in his Damascus, Damascus Road song. I think it was 1978. He actually said, I saw Jesus come into my hotel room. I'd like to know what kind of drugs he was on. And so uh, I'm going to give uh, Frank Morano and his guests the benefit of the doubt that, yes, uh, John Lennon did see a UFO in 1974, but neither of them bothered to connect the dots. There was a series of events that had taken place in the life and time of the Beatles, of George Harrison, Ringo Starr, obviously John Lennon, and Paul McCartney. Notice I did not include Yoko Ono, who is the very reason they broke up. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's face it. Wouldn't you break up if you had, a, if you had to have uh, Yoko Ono with you everywhere you went as a posse of four lifelong friends? Anyway, I digress. But I believe that John Lennon, who had given up drugs, yes, He had given up drugs when he was called to the mountaintop, the ashram, Maharishi Yogi. Remember Maharishi Yogi of Transcendental Meditation? Oh, it was quite the thing in the late 60s. He was all over the place, and then uh, playing the sitar was Ravi Shankar. Remember, he even had Ravi Shankar on Ed Sullivan because the Beatles said, Hey, Eddie, you want us back on? You got to listen to Ravi Shankar with the sitar. Remember? They went over there for transcendental meditation to that ashram. And because of meditation, it was decided that they would quit drugs. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, John Lennon objected. Objected. And said to the Maharishi as he confronted him, the Maharishi Yogi, you are a perv. I understand, Maharishi Yogi, that you had a three-way with my wife, Cynthia Lennon, another American girl, and yourself. And the Maharishi Yogi did not deny it. He said, when you have the spirituality that I have, John, you're entitled to these pleasures. Well, John Lennon didn't quite dig that because, remember, as a result of going with Transcendental Meditation and the Maharishi Yogi and having to listen to damn Ravi Shankar round the clock 24-7-365, that would have drove me nuts. He decided, I'm out of here. I'm having nothing to do with you any longer, Maharishi Yogi. And then, remember, George Harrison left, and then soon Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney. 
In fact, later on, it turned out that the Maharishi Yogi was a perv, perved on uh, Mia Farrow. And that reminds me in the 60s, how the hell did Mia Farrow end up with Maharishi Yogi getting perved on in India at the ashram? Then remember she was with Frank Sinatra, or as Joe Piscopo would say, Mr. Sinatra. Remember the Sinatra two-hour extravaganza on Sunday, 6 to 8, the Mazda Ramsey. Ramsey, Mazda. See that? I had it backwards. Two-hour extravaganza. So Mia Farrow gets perved on by the Maharishi Yogi at the ashram in India. Then ends up with Frank Sinatra, Mr. Sinatra to Joe Piscopo. Who was then wearing, remember, love beats. What the hell is that about? Like Sammy Davis Jr. Cool, man. Cool. I'm the candy man. Candy? That's cocaine. No, no, no. We're talking about candy. And then from there, went to Woody Allen. Now, figure that out. The Maharishi Yogi, who looked like Cousin It in the Adams Family, right? The Maharishi Yogi looked like Cousin It. All hair. Then goes to Mr. Sinatra to Joe Piscopo. And then ends up with the freak Woody Allen. Wow, what a trifecta. What a troika. What a trinity. And I believe that um, it was John Lennon who created that song Sexy Sadie, which was really about the Maharishi Yogi. So he was not on drugs at that time. He had become dry. He had given it up. Uh, anybody would give it up. You're in an ashram. You have monkeys fornicating all over the place. You know, it's like dirty. Uh, you got mosquitoes biting you everywhere. You know, not necessarily the kind of lifestyle that you were used to coming out of Liverpool. And so he flees. He comes back to New York. And eventually he meets Yoko Ono. And it was goodbye, Cynthia Lennon, who he said, you like three ways with the Maharashi Yogi and that American girl you found? Well, you can have your three ways with the Maharashi. And I believe what happened then. See if you can follow me, please. See if you can follow me. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I'm going to pimp off of Dylan who said he sensed a presence in his hotel room that couldn't have been anybody but Jesus. And it even felt, he even felt the hand of Jesus on him. Now, you know, he was doing heavy drugs, Dylan. Remember, do any of you remember that it was Bob Dylan who was caught walking around Long Branch, New Jersey, pouring rain, pouring rain. He's wearing sweatpants. I'll never forget this. The Long Branch Police Department get a 911 call. They claim an old man is walking around in sweatpants in the pouring rain, peering into the windows of vacant homes. A female cop, Christy Bubble, stops him and goes, who are you? He goes, I'm Bob Dylan. Get out of here. He goes, my real name is Robert Zimmerman. She goes, you're a liar. You're just a crazy old man wearing dirty sweatpants. Why the hell are you looking into people's windows? He goes, I'm looking at one of these Victorian mansions potentially to buy. She said, get out of here. Where do you live? And then Bob Dylan told the police officer in Long Branch, I have homes all over the world. Oh, now I know you're full of bull. Well, it was true. Now, you ask, what was he doing in Long Branch, New Jersey? 
Uh, he was performing that night with Willie Nelson at the First Energy Park in Lakewood. And let's face it, he must have been sampling some of Willie Nelson's herb a little earlier in the day. Now, I'm to expect that this guy who was walking around Long Branch, New Jersey with dirty sweatpants on, like a crazy old man in a downpour, staring in the windows of houses, actually sensed a presence in his hotel room. There couldn't have been anybody but Jesus. And he even felt the hand that was placed upon him. And then soon, he flipped the script from Christianity and started to follow the Lubavitchers, you know, at 770 Eastern Parkway and have conversations with Menachem Schneerson. You tell me this guy wasn't on heavy drugs? So this is what I think took place. I think uh, John Lennon came back crestfallen, destroyed, because... He thought that by going to the Maharashi Yogi at his ashram in India that he would connect with God. It's the one thing the Beatles couldn't do. Remember? It used to be said the Beatles were more famous than Jesus Christ. Remember what they said? The Beatles were more famous than Jesus Christ. And to a great reality, that was true. But I think John Lennon thought by going to the ashram... By meditating with a Maharashi Yogi, transcendental meditation, that he would somehow be able to achieve conversation with God. So instead, he gets back to the Dakota. He drops his wife, who is really upset with Cynthia Lennon uh, for being freaky deaky, and hooks up with Yoko Ono. And then all of a sudden, a lot of people don't know this, he headed up to Millbrook. Millbrook, that's right, in the Hudson Valley. To the 63-room mansion, the old Hitchcock estate that was uh, being run by Dr. Timothy Leary there, author of Flashbacks. Apparently, John Lennon had been reading his book. And whereas he had been uh, drug-free under the tutelage of Maharashi Yogi, you know with Timothy Leary they were doing some uh, heavy shrooms. You know, the active ingredients in shrooms is psilocybin. I'm sure some of you out there have used some psilocybin. If you were to say that to Frank Murano, he'd have a heart attack. He wouldn't know what you were talking about. You know, acid, LSD. Because John Lennon was to reveal that he was depressed, that it was a therapeutic tool. And so he wasn't going to go out to uh, San Francisco, to the West Coast, and join Ken Kesey's acid house you know, with the Merry Pranksters and their fluorescent boss, the electric Kool-Aid acid test that had been written uh, by Tom Wolfe. No, he was going to stay East Coast. And that's where he thought he saw the UFO while tripping. See, Frank Morano didn't tell you the rest of the story because he wasn't birthed at that time. If I was to say, Frank Morano, do you know who Ken Kesey uh, and the uh, Merry Pranksters are? Of course not. He wasn't, he wasn't even around. You remember their fluorescent bus, San Francisco? No. Did you ever read the electric Kool-Aid acid uh, test uh, by uh, Tom Wolf? No. You ever read flashbacks by Dom, Dr. Timothy? No. So how would he have known? But when I heard that interview, I knew right away that he had left the Maharashi Yogi to his new guru, Dr. Timothy Leary. 
And he started with psilocybin, the active ingredient in shrooms, and then escalated to acid, LSD. Now, any of you who have ever been on a trip, come on, I want you to admit that. How many of you have looked up into the sky and seen many UFOs, unidentified flying objects, and watched a lot of little gray people running around in the streets? See, that's that's the real truth. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Michael in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Yes. I'm not going to ask you how you are because, frankly, I really don't care. Um, I wonder how uh, Bragg, the braggadocio one, is doing. Hmm. But I do have an answer for your question about what is a constitutional. Yes. It's exactly the same as a perambulation. I knew I knew there was some synergy to both of those words. Yes. So it is true that Yoko Ono in midday would leave the Dakota and go on her constitutional in Central Park, correct? Frankly, when you talk about Yoko Ono, I don't care if she was sitting in the silver, in the porcelain palace. I could care less about her, about the socialist commie Lenin. I was really only calling to answer your question about the Constitution. How dare you, Michael Day? We are days away from the birthday of Lenin. Are you aware of that? What I would say if he was alive. No, no, not that Lenin. Vladimir Lenin. Oh, Vladimir. Yes. Vladimir. Uh Aha, see? Um, I tripped you up. I tripped you up. You did. You did. Vladimir Lenin, I would say, has left uh, quite a few marks on history. Notice how flummoxed Michael was. I turned the tables on him. He thought he had me. And then I said, oh, my little pretty, not John Lennon's birthday, Vladimir Lennon. 1-800-848-9222. You notice I got him good. Vladimir Lennon's birthday. He shares that birthday with what other international day? And then there is another day coming up this week. That is a good day and a bad day, depending on your spectrum. What am I talking about, ladies and gentlemen? This is a week that many people prognosticate all the time could be filled with problems because of the dates we're talking about. one 800 I hate to be so vague. But it is so obvious to many of you who have historically followed this part of April, which back-to-back, belly-to-belly, has some of the most important days on our historical calendar for the good and for the evil. 
1-800-848-9222. This was all triggered by the best of the other side of Midnight by Frank Morano that follows Wiener and Sliwa Saturdays from 2 to 4. And he had on a guest talking about all kinds of uh, scenarios, but especially the fact that John Lennon had spotted a UFO in 1974 with no documentary evidence, no others who were with him, with the statement that he didn't want to call it into the police because if they knew it was John Lennon, they wouldn't believe him. Really? They'd probably ask him, hey, you got any of that good stuff, John? By the way, don't have Yoko Ono sing us a song when we come over to your house on the 911 call. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Trisha calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Trish. Oh, hey, Curtis. John David Hinckley sold out in Brooklyn. Very good, very good. Okay, so John David Hinckley. Well, what is it, like a she-she hotel? Or a lounge or whatever. And he, who bought the tickets? Hmm. Which tickets are you referring to, Trish? Well, John uh, uh, David Hinckley. Three name, you know, uh, shot Reagan and uh, sold out in Brooklyn at a hotel. Yes, that's true. We did that story uh, a week ago. That's not the person that I was asking for. It is the person who... Oh, I, I am sorry. No, oh, no, no, no You're no, talking no. about uh, Chapman, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Mark David yes. Chapman from Hawaii. Mark, from Hawaii. Yeah, never right, trust yeah. anybody with three names, especially <laughs> yes. if two of the names are first names. Never, ever, ever, Trish. Yes, yes. And... Uh, I look forward to hearing uh, Nancy. And uh, Now, let me ask you, you know, a question while you're on the line, Trish, now that you have come up with the answer, Mark David Chapman. We're going to give you a solid because this is Easter. This is the resurrection. This is Pesach. This is Ramadan. Um, do you believe that if John, John Lennon were the person who were alive, and let's say hypothetically that Mark David Chapman had shot and killed Yoko Ono and not John Lennon, that John Lennon would have appealed for him to be released from Attica, where he will be housed till the day he dies and goes straight to hell without an asbestos suit? No. Interesting, because that was also the discussion that Frank had with his guest as they got into the hypotheticals. You see, when you got all these people with three names, it gets confusing, you know. Hinckley, Chapman, <laughs> it seems everybody who does something really bad has three names. Maybe we should just keep all of those people on an island somewhere. Australia was the penal colony. Clear it out. It keeps getting hit with COVID. We'll take the 20 million Aussies out of there. We'll resettle them in other parts. And anybody with three names must be settled in Australia. Because if you notice, almost inevitably, they do something crazy that causes harm to individuals, to society, that mars us and scars us. You know, they could be out there with the kangaroos and the wombats, and they can throw... uh, 
boomerangs at one another, you know, from Perth on the West Coast to Melbourne on the East Coast and have some Vegemite on their Ritz crackers. Yeah, I know some of you Aussies are listening right now and having a good belly life. I got to tell you, Vegemite is maybe the worst marmalade you've ever tasted in your life. The Aussies can't get enough of it. It was created by Kraft. And Kraft couldn't get any Americans to be suckers, to buy the product. So they had all this <sighs> all this marmalade product that they call Vegemite. So they figured, where can we pawn this off to? Oh, the penal colony. The guys and gals who were prisoners. And they shipped it all to Australia. And I'm telling you, the Aussies, if you were to tell them, here is a sirloin steak, here is a tenderloin steak. Here is a jar of Vegemite, marmalade, the worst you've ever had in your life, and rich crackers. You know what the Aussies would go for? The, oh, Vegemite. Oh. Tell me I'm lying, Aussies that are listening out there. And I know some of you are listening because you got us on the app and the stream. You've called in from Melbourne. You've called in from Sydney. You've called in from Perth itself. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Lewis calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lou. Good evening, Mr. Sleewell. Nice to talk to you. Uh, can you talk into the phone? You sound like you're in a bit of a tunnel and a bit of a warp. How's that now? Much better. Thank you. Uh, anyway, that constitutional, uh, one's constitution is one's state of health. And taking a constitutional, a daily walk, it preserves and protects that. That is why we call it a constitutional. Excellent. In fact, when we're finished our conversation, Lewis, you will stay on the line because you, sir, have won a Curtis Sleewa booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. I'm so cheap I throw nickels around like manhole covers. Lucky that the cats and Matitis are not cheapskates like me because you're going to be styling and profiling in a Curtis Sleewa WABC hat that is going to be the envy of everybody. In which part of New Jersey are you, Lewis? In Long Ridge. Oh. Which came up with Dylan. Oh, do you remember that story? I, I never heard it, but oh. I do have a great John Lennon story, if oh, you'd like please, to hear that. Please, share it, share it. Okay, this is uh, like 80, 81. I work in the Russian tea room as a front man, and oddly enough, John and Yoko came in with a couple of suits to sit down for a little business chat. Uh, John was engaging. He talked to me in the, uh, uh, in the maitre d', and we were having a lot of fun with John. Uh, comes to leave. They're just there for a short time. We're d'oeuvres. They got a check for a hundred bucks. So, uh, John and I and, and, uh, Richard Barron, the maitre d' are chatting with, with him and we're having laughs. And, uh, John, uh, uh takes the, uh, the check away from, uh, from, uh, from Yoko to look at it. And, uh, he says, uh, you know, he asked her, like, you know, like what he did for these guys. And, and she explains to him that she's, tipping the uh, uh, the correct 15% for the waiter and five for the front guys. And he, he says, is that it? He says, is, is that what you gave him $5? She says, yes, John. And she's, uh, you know, repeating this, this mantra about the percentages. He turns to her and he says, honey, you know, these charming gentlemen have made our evening and you're giving them $5. He says, honey, you know, we're effing rich. 
So he puts another zero on the tip, and uh, that's the story. <laughs> that is a great one, Lewis. That is a great one. Boy, you, uh, you've earned your John Lennon brownie points. Well, well, well I, I hope you send me a nice booby prize. Yes, you stay on the line. Please stay on the line. Avery, who was so maligned by Frank Morano the other day when he lost lost complete control of his mental faculties. By the way, you're not going to want to miss this. We have some very pertinent information on Frank Morano's weekend coming up in Atlantic City. All, all paid vacation, shooting craps, and teaching other people craps and how to lose their money. I kid you not. Ladies and gentlemen, I know some of you, like Lewis, are out there in Long Branch, and you are keeping this story all to yourselves. And I'm ashamed of all of you. Down there in Red Bank, Long Branch, all along the Jersey Shore, Ocean County, you know what I'm talking about. It was 2009, and there was a crazy old man walking around in pouring rain, in these sweatpants, these gray sweatpants that were all stained up. He looked like a homeless guy. And he was peering in the windows of some of those great Victorian homes there. And all of a sudden, the Long Branch Police Department had received a series of 911 calls. Woo, 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 woo. Up against the wall, said Christy Bubble. What a name, Christy Bubble. Female police officer. She goes, what is your name? He said, uh, I'm Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, sure, you're Bob Dylan. Said, I'm, I'm Bob Dylan. What is your name, sir? Okay, my real name is Robert Zimmerman. Where do you live? Well, I have houses all over the world. Sure you do. Up against the wall. Are you homeless? No, 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 I, I'm, I'm not homeless. I, I was just looking at these Victorian homes and wondering if I, I wanted to get a home of my own here to add to the many that I have all over the world. Don't get fresh and smart with me. So they run him into the Long Branch Police Department, and he insists that he is Bob Dylan, a.k.a. Robert Zimmerman. And naturally, the cops are calling him a crazy old man, a liar. He's wearing these stained uh, gray sweatpants. And it turned out, yes, he was Bob Dylan, as crazy as he was. He was performing that night with Willie Nelson, and I'm sure Willie brought the good stuff with him that day because they must have been doing Puff Puff Pass in the hotel room before that. They were performing at First Energy Park in Lakewood. And I believe at that moment, Bob Dylan had announced that he had seen Jesus walk into his hotel room. Yes, he said that not only did Jesus walk into his hotel room, but that he felt Jesus' hand placed upon him. You see, uh, that should be one of the advertisements for Drug-Free America. Remember the old Drug-Free America advertisements? Right there. Bob Dylan claiming Jesus touched him. Soon to convert to becoming a Lubavitcher, the follower of Menachem Schneerson, a uh, Hasidic Jew. Now figure that out. From a holy roller Christian, right, evangelical, to a Hasidic Jew, a Lubavitcher, and back and forth and back and forth. I think it was the drugs. I don't think it was JC or Hashem. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Marty, who's calling from Canada. Oh, Canada. Where in Canada are you calling from, Marty? Kurt, is that you? In the flash. So unbelievable. Hey, listen, I'm I'm in the Great White North here, so like, I'll keep it simple. It's dark, cold, it's nasty. We just come through that so-called storm, whatever they call it. But I just wanted to tell you, you know, that's important. And I'm from Poland. Poland. Uh, many years ago when I was four. I'm like your age now. Um, and you're great, eh? I'm up here. I'm listening to Manhattan. I love Donald. I love all that stuff. Love it. And, and you're bringing us up to date, eh? Marty, uh, Marty, let me ask you, what part of Canada are you calling from? From Winnipeg, right in the middle of oh. Canada, man. Winnipeg, Golden I've been Dark. there. You have more casinos than you have package stores. Yeah, well, COVID, COVID slowed all that down, eh? You have more indigenous people, First Nation people, than you do people from the Ukraine. There are a lot of Ukrainians there. Correct, correct. Beautiful both beautiful people, yes. all beautiful people. Yes, Winnipeg. Oh, we got, Winnipeg. we got crime like you. We got crime like you. You know, yeah, different kind of crime. Yeah, I've been in, I've know, been invited. Like, I've been invited to come to Winnipeg to start the Guardian Angels. I've been to Winnipeg before. In fact, yes. let me tell you a little story, Marty. How Go I ended ahead. up going to Winnipeg. There I was traveling from Montreal to Toronto through Ontario, and then there was the warm winds of the Chinook. It took me right right through your area into Regina, Saskatchewan, and eventually Alberta, Calgary, and Edmonton, and over the Rocky Mountains, and to God's country, Vancouver and Victoria. Yeah, you got it, baby. It's a big country, eh? Oh, it's beautiful, too. And, you you, you know, can, can we make a deal? We won't take your oil. I mean, you, you got all that shale and that we oil in Alberta. We got so much, we got a problem giving it. I know, but you see, our president has turned off the Keystone Pipeline, so this is what I suggest. And our president is environmentally correct. This is what I suggest. A nice trade. We take Alberta as the 51st state, because if you've ever been to Alberta, Marty, they dress like cowboys. They look like Americans from Oklahoma and Texas. At least they try to be like that. Yeah. Uh, you give us Alberta, and we'll give you California. That's Texas and Canada. No, no. We'll give you. That's true. It's like Texas, Oklahoma, and Canada. We'll give you California, which actually has more people, 40 million people, than you have in all of Canada. I tell you, that weather, Curtis. Is I that, give you money for that weather. You, you like that trade, huh? I like that already. You see this? We can negotiate. Forget Trudeau. Forget Biden putting his hand out, shaking an inanimate object. Me and you, we no, can I'm negotiate waiting. this. I'm waiting for Donald, okay? He's the only guy that makes any sense so far. I tell you, Marty, I am so, so hell-bent on this. We cannot wait for Donald to decide in Mar-a-Lago uh, if he's going to make another run. So I am willing to come to Winnipeg, sit down at a casino, and negotiate USA, and you represent Marty, and we can make this deal. You're welcome to my house for a first stop, okay? Excellent. And what uh, do you have to imbibe at your house? I have everything. I have China. I have Yugoslavia. I have Czechoslovakia. 
I have the North End. I have the Central. I have everything here. You see? This is global. We can make history, Marty. Our hands right. across. I've been watching you, Curtis. Yes. I've been watching you for 40 years. Yes. Maybe more. Hmm. Now, could you tell me why, Marty, that for a period of time in Ottawa, oh, Ottawa, they banned me, they flagged me. I want to tell yeah. a, a story. I was flying into Toronto organizing the Guardian Angels there for Jane Finch Carter. They could use a division of Marines there. And they detained me in immigration. They said, you have been uh, arrested 70-odd times. We can't let you into Canada. And you know who they let come into Canada that night to do a concert? 50 Cent. Curtis Jackson, who's been arrested a million times. I said, how come he's coming in? Well, he just put down a bond of $500,000 in cash. That wasn't very Canadian-like, Marty. If I can't negotiate this swamp, Alberta, oil-rich Alberta with the shale, we should be pumping that through the Keystone Pipeline. Even Trudeau Jr. got upset with that. We'll give them California. Make this swamp. And then we'll do this. It'll be Canadian bacon. We'll, inv- we'll invade can- Canada. You remember that great film, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll beat Marty at that casino. Uh, you, ever been to, you ever been to Winnipeg? There are more. Let me get it right. It's got to be politically correct in Canada. First Nation people, indigenous people, or what we would call Indians. There are a lot of them in Winnipeg and a lot of Ukrainians. Not from because of the war there now. A lot of Ukrainians settled there a century ago. I don't know why they pick Winnipeg, but when I was there, every second person was Ukrainian. one 800 Let's go uh, to Jerry calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jerry. Curtis, I can't wait to hear who the board op was, who's uh, what became a famous comedian. Wow, you haven't figured that out? Uh, from the Bronx. All right, let me give you, let me take it to you. Uh, this young man at that time came out of the Bronx, had a very tough upbringing, and decided he had to stabilize himself. He had no dreams of going to Hollywood or becoming a star in a sitcom. And he uh, went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Not to be- David Brenner. No, 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 Dave, not David Brenner. Uh, he's not Jewish. L- let me let me help you with that. Although okay. he's got a schnoz. Uh, his schnoz, if, if you looked at this guy and you didn't know his religion, you say, oh, this guy is either Jewish or Italian. He's got a big schnoz, big schnoz. Oh, boy. So he's the board op at the old WMCA. He went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. He got that trade. And he was board opping for Alex Bennett, Do You Want to Be a Bird, who had a big audience uh, at night, countering uh, Bob Grant's even bigger audience in the afternoon at the old WMCA. Oh. Not HOA, Herb Oscar Anderson? No, Herb Oscar Anderson was part of... Uh, MCA, the good guys. Well, the uh, good guys, right, but you also then had uh, WINS, which also had Top 40. You had WWRL, right. and naturally you had WABC. See, I, I, think, I think you're a little, a little... He does commercials on TV now. He does commercials on TV. He's He's gotten up there. For a few years, 
for a few years, he was the number one sitcom star in America. Bar none. Urban, the uh, program was set in the housing projects. Uh, Good times. That's right, Good Times. Jimmy Uh, Walker. Really? He was the boy up at MCA. Yes, and eventually became, years later, after all of his success in TV, he, uh, you know, he's a comedian also doing stand-up. But he hosted a talk radio program in, believe it or not, Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about what what a diverse life. And what do you, you were saying there were a bunch of birthdays coming up this week that are both good and bad? Yes. The best to some and evil to most. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Well, 420 is pot day, right? Oh, that's right. Puff, puff, pass. So if you are a stoner, <laughs> it is your international holiday. But what else falls on April 20th? That is a horrible day. I have no idea. It's when the whole world trembles because they think, uh-oh, this is when there could be really be an upsurge of white supremacy. You know, this is probably where Joe Biden and uh, our attorney general and the head of the Department of uh, uh, Homeland Security are going to watch white supremacists. The evil will rise. What uh, What day and why? Something to do with World War II? Mm, yes, you're very close. Very close. April 20th, it's also Puff Puff Past Day, Adolf Hitler's birthday. Oh, boy. Remember in the past how people would say, oh, my God, Adolf Hitler, the white supremacists are going to go crazy this day. And then two days later, it is Vladimir Lenin's birthday, not John Lennon's birthday, Vladimir Lenin's birthday. And it's also Earth Day. Interesting. How they converge. 1-800-848-9222. Great song. By Joe Walsh. The theme of the cult classic. The Warriors. Warriors come out and play. And that's where it seems... We've moved back to an unsafe subway system. Some of you may have remembered the cold classic, the Warriors, as they had assembled up in Vancouver, excuse me, Vancouver, <laughs> Van Cortland Park, in the northernmost section of the Bronx. And they had been summoned there by a gang leader. By the way, what was the name of that gang leader who summoned all the other gangs throughout the city of the New York? And he told all of them assembled, there are 40,000 of us and only 20,000 of them, meaning the cops. We could take over this city. And at that point, as all the gangs that had assembled from all five boroughs, uh, having come there on the subway, the number one train, right into Van Cortland Park, That's when uh, all of a sudden a shot rang out. The uh, cult-like leader, uh, messianic as he was, was shot and killed. The word was that the warriors from Coney Island had done that, which they hadn't. They tried to pin it on them, and so they had to fight their way all the way from the number one train. 
near the last stop, man, Cortland Park, all the way back to Stillwell Avenue, Coney Island, uh, the D train. And the very train that Frank James had taken, the N train, where he uh, attempted to kill everybody and ended up shooting 10, and then went on a tour of New York City. We're going to get into that because, oh my God. For the most sophisticated police department in the world, with all the technological uh, benefits that we have here, both in the private sector and in the public sector, this guy turned us into a laughing stock. He really did. As uh, Mayor Eric Adams said about two weeks ago at a communion breakfast uh, for the police department, we are a laughing stock. I don't care how you put shade on this. We really are when it comes to our response to trying to catch uh, catch this madman, what appears to be a lone wolf. We really are a laughing stock, and we're going to go into all of that as we uh, move our way towards the six o'clock hour. And by the way, when I um, end up finishing uh, my weekend tour, having broadcast at all different times on Friday. Today, uh, yesterday, Saturday, and then today, Sunday. I'll be coming back with Chris Hahn, uh, left versus right from 3 to 5, and then finish out the string uh, starting at 9 o'clock at night. And then with the last hour, 11 to 12, with my beautiful wife, Nancy, uh, the animal rescuer, uh, bar none, in which we do the animal welfare hour. It is uh, the most listened to, the most requested, and the most phoned in of all the segments that I do. But this weekend, in particular because of the multiple holidays, uh, you had Good Friday, you had Easter, you had Pesach, and you have Ramadan. And then for the Eastern Orthodox, uh, the Christians, uh, they have their Palm Sunday today, and their Easter Sunday will be next Sunday. Uh, And then they'll be able to get everything on the shelf uh, that is uh, uh, skyrocketing in price because of inflation. They'll get half the price on that, including the chocolate bunnies. Uh, that many of them won't sell out. Even the price of chocolate has skyrocketed. But in order to sell out, because it's a seasonal item, they'll reduce it in half. And so the Eastern Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, the Russian, can I say the Russian Orthodox? Yes, okay. The Ukrainian Orthodox, the Serbian Orthodox, the Romanian Orthodox, all the various uh, Eastern uh, Orthodox sects. We'll be able to get Easter items half price. That's the benefit of having all of those holidays occur a week after the Western Christian, so to speak. But let's go to the phones because there are so many phone lines now. We've got to sort of make a little bit of room here. Everybody has been in queue, waiting patiently. Let's go to Al in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Sir, that's... Uh, good morning, Curtis. Did you see the uh, Tom Seaver um, unveiling of the statue? Yes, I did. Uh, I saw Mike Piazza there, the Italian stallion. I saw yeah. uh, the Met staff there, the broadcasters on TV and radio, and obviously the owner, Stephen Cohn, who should be in jail, by the way, for insider trading information. Yeah, I, I, saw, I saw them all. Yeah, well, I'm speaking of my perspective on Seaver, and I'm a diehard Mets fan since 62 when my old man took me to the polo ground. So I've been in love with the Mets. However, I despise Tom Seaver, and I think it's very hypocritical 
that they that they talked about how he was so great to the fans when in fact he wouldn't even give you an autograph. He was just a nasty guy to the fans. And I don't know if you remember that time, and I love the way they rewrite the history. Now, I want to uh, spare the Mets. I want you to listen to something here, Al. This was unexpected to me. But then, as you know, how do you like Gary Cohn as a broadcaster? I don't. I, 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 I really don't. I mean, I, I like Lindsey Nelson and Bob uh, Murphy and, and Kiner. And I, I know, but you do was... realize uh, that Lindsey Nelson, uh, Bob Murphy, and Ralph Kiner, they all had those waffle weave jackets on, remember? Correct. Of and, course. and by the way, they, they'd be like half in the bag by the third inning. Always, always. I mean, Kiner's corner at the end. That's right. At the end of the game, (laughs) Ralph Kiner would have Kiner's corner, and he would be swooning there as he would interview the star of the game. Right. And then what I used to love is when the players were were even drunker than Kiner. Yes. You know, when especially who I loved the best pitcher on the Mets always was Jerry Kuzman. I know, I really but now, a, now let me tell you a little story, because as you know, I'm not a Met fan, but my first game that I ever went to was the Polo Grounds. Uh, oh, interesting. And I I saw Lou Brock, who was a Chicago Cub, not a, um, what we would call a long ball hitter, a punch and Judy hitter, because he'd get on and then steal second, steal third, and belly slide into home sometimes. He hit a shot into the center field stands in the polo grounds, which was even further than the old Yankee Stadium, that center field. That would, that's, I can never forget that as a kid. I do remember going after the game with my cousin, Lenny Beans Bianchino, and my uncle Ralphie, and the Mets, who were like down there with baseman Bertha, all signed autographs. Uh, there was, um, uh, at the time, there was Choo Choo Coleman. He signed. It was Richie Ashburn, the center fielder. There was Frank Thomas, uh, who was the first baseman. It was Marv Throneberry. Uh, I remember all of them. They were very nice uh, coming out because they would always lose, and I guess they were happy that anybody would want their signatures. And, of course, Casey. And, I mean, everyone forgets how important Casey was to the Mets and the popularity of the Mets. And, of course, we got him from the Yankees. Rod Keneal. Oh, I can go right through that lineup. But... But I want you to I want you to listen to what occurred this past weekend. The Guardians, ten runs in the first three innings in Kansas City. Ooh. Looking for their first win as Guardians. So my question is when the Guardians play the Angels, does Curtis Slewa throw out the first pitch? <laughs> Very good. You saw Ron Darling laughing at that, right? I oh yeah 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 yeah. But it no, is I it mean, is a, it is a good question because Cleveland had to become politically correct and get rid of their last name, the Indians. Although the right. Atlanta Braves, right. to their credit, have not. But the, it's now the Cleveland Guardians. So right. Right. playing the Angels in California, that yeah, that was pretty good uh, of Cohen. Pretty good. Well, it, yeah, but but other than that, you know, seriously, uh, the the Mets are have always been uh, classless as far as even when uh, M. Donald Grant, you know, and Joan Payson had it. I I didn't think they were very good to the fans. Yeah, but they traded Tom Seaver. Well, that was the point. M. Donald Grant did that. And they, you know, they they loved him so much. And and speaking of uh, 
of of yesterday. I was shocked at how Nancy looked. I mean, Nancy was quite hot when 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 you know when Seaver and um, oh, she was the Barbie her, doll. Uh, Nancy Seaver. She was the Barbie doll. She was the the all American. Uh, uh, she had the all American yeah. look. Yeah, and it was very sad that. Um, you know how how she's you know how, how she's changed, but in terms of wait that wait a second, statue, hold on a second. I, Are you sure yeah. you're a Mets fan? Oh, you Curtis? hate Gary Cohen. You hate Tom right. Sheba. Hold on. What about Mike Piazza, the Italian stallion? Uh, really, he was not homegrown, and we all know about how Mike's Mike uh, Piazza is uh, ACDC, right? Wow, man, you sound like a, this guy. Is a wolf in sheep's clothing? Wait a second, is that right? A, a wolf in sheep's clothing? Yeah, yeah, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Sounds like a, he sounds like me attacking the Mets. I will have to, I will have to protect the honor of Tom Seaver. I met Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver was hosting a benefit for a charity in Stamford, Connecticut. That's where he lived in Connecticut. Bobby Valentine was there at the time. He was from Stanford. Quite a few uh, of the ball players, and uh, he was raising money for a really great cause. Uh, it was a cause that he had suffered from himself: Lyme disease. A lot of people don't realize that most of America really didn't know what Lyme disease was until uh, Tom Seaver almost got crippled with it. People don't know that Tom Sebu grew up in Fresno, California, was a better golfer than he was a baseball player. He could have gone out on the PGA, and he might have been giving Jack Nicholson a hard time uh, back in 1969 instead of pitching the Miracle Mets to victory. And let me give you a little side story about Jerry Kuzman. There was a time when ball players actually lived in some of the neighborhoods of the five boroughs. That almost never happens other than living in Manhattan. So Jerry Kuzman and Ron Swoboda had houses on the same cul-de-sac block in Bayside. Jerry Kuzman was from Minnesota and was a hunter. So in the off-season, he would go out and hunt upstate, and he would bring back his catch, and he would keep it in the pool that he would fill up for his kids in the summer. But naturally, the stench, the smell, would bother the local people who weren't used to that. You know, you go to Bayside, you're not used to that. Hunters, you know, hanging out deers, you know, so they'll dry out. Jerry Kuzman, great pitch, but a total nut job. <laughs> so Ron Swoboda goes to his house. He says, Jerry, they're going to they're gonna move to get us off the block. We're supposed to be stars. You know, it's like with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Most of them lived in Brooklyn, including uh, Jackie Robinson, who was on it on uh, Friday. Everybody wearing number 42 for breaking the color barrier. He says to Jerry Kuzman, they, they want us off the block. And Jerry Kuzman said, hunting comes first. I'm from Minnesota. And then later on in his life, he wouldn't pay taxes. He believed one of these screwball guys on the radio. You don't have to pay taxes. They can't put you in jail. And guess what? They put him in jail. <laughs> Great picture, though. Oh, and there was Tommy Agee. Remember Tommy Agee? They got from the Chicago White Sox. Basket catch. Uh, one of the few. You never see the basket catch anymore. Like with Willie Mays. 
Roberto Klemeski catch, Tommy Agee, and yeah, Joe Pepitone, he had the basket catch too. I used the basket, basket catch in high school, and my coach hated that. Don't, don't do a basket catch. Put both your hands up. It's great. Uh, there was some match that I like. Tom Seaver, no, no, no. I, I can't let you rain on Tom Seaver, man. He suffered with Lyme disease. I can't let you rag on his wife, Nancy. Uh, first of all, it's the uh, same name as my wife. So my wife might get confused if she's listening. Is she ragging on me? No, she was a Barbie doll. She's good looking, but the all-American type. She would sit there in her box seat when Tom would pitch. And then he brings up Grant. Not Bob Grant. I think the vice president of the match, who traded Tom Seaver, the franchise, to Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Reds. Why am I feeling this? And I hate the Mets. Do we believe that Al was a Mets fan? Come on. Can I hear that again? Can I hear Gary Cohen talking about Curtis Lewa, who hates the Mets? Can I hear that, please? The Guardians, 10 runs in the first three innings in Kansas City. Looking for their first win as Guardians. So my question is, when the Guardians play the Angels, does Curtis Slewa throw out the first pitch? <laughs> Very good. Why was Ron Darling laughing at me? Ron Darling, oh, Mr. Big Stuff, who does he think he is? Went to Yale University from Hawaii, right? You know, like Keith Hernandez, the ladies' guys, huh? Why was he laughing at me? Gary Cohen, he did a solid there, right? That made sense. That was a good line. But if you notice, Ron Darling in the booth was laughing at me. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And while I'm at it, it's Curtis Lee with Super Sports Spectacular. Yes, I've done sports talk radio. I did it for ESPN. There was Warner Wolf in the uh, mornings on Saturday. And then I did mid-mornings uh, during baseball season, Yankees, Mets. Love the Yanks, hate the Mets. It was an easy show for me to do. Bash the Mets. Praise the Yankees. Tim McCarthy uh, from Pearl River, the Irish Riviera, was the general manager then. And he got a call from up in Connecticut, you know, where all the ESPN suits are. And I said, who's that guy you got on doing mid-mornings? Curtis Lewa? You see what he's calling uh, baseball commissioner Bud Selig? He's saying he's got a bad rug on his head and he's wearing high waters. Like he, and then they repeated to Tim what I had said, which was true. Like he had just survived the flood from the Mississippi River. Those are the high waters he had. He was the owner and operator of the uh, Milwaukee franchise and yet Major League Baseball commissioner. I used to rag on him on ESPN. So the boys up in Connecticut told Tim McCarthy, how many kids do you have now? I think Tim had four at that time. You know, he's Irish, just doesn't believe in birth control. Uh, they say, you like your kids, you like your family, you like your mortgage, yeah. You better fire Sliwa. Well, don't bother coming in on Monday. So Tim McCarthy said, uh, hmm, uh, it ain't the leprechaun coming for you here, Curtis. Uh, you can't kiss the Barney Stone. I'm coming with the shillelagh. You're fired. No more courtesy with Super Sports Spectacular. Leave it. Leave it be that I was crestfallen. Oh. Oh. Uh, there I had that that ESPN bully pulpit where I could praise the Yanks effusively and I could bash the Mets every chance that I had. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Walter, who's calling from Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Walter. 
yes, good evening, Curtis. Uh, that was Cyrus up in uh, Van Corlin. Very good. Cyrus was the cult-like figure, the gang leader who had assembled all the other gangs into Van Cortlandt Park. Uh, and uh, yeah. the, the actor there played the, the role very well, didn't he, Walter? Yes, and uh, before they kill him, remember he said, uh, can you dig it? That's right. Can, can you, you dig, dig it? it? <laughs> and then remember and also, remember later on uh, in the movie as the Warriors were fighting their way to Coney Island uh, on the different subway yeah, yeah. lines, there was a African-American DJ with huge, humongous lips, uh, like yes. coho lips. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. The Warriors were yeah, spotted yeah. down at 14th Street Union Square. Go get the Warriors. Remember the Lizzie's? Yes. The Lizzie's. <laughs> the Lizzie's, yeah. They, they, they will be politically incorrect, all them women. They're crazy. Man. They did not like men, Walter. Let's let's just be <laughs> very out. Of, they were beating the hell out of the Warriors. They pretended <laughs> that they were like sirens, yeah. like Venus flytraps. And then all of a yeah, sudden, yeah, yeah. the Warriors realized they weren't going to get any nookie-nookie. If anything, they were going to get a shiv right underneath their ribs. Yeah, and now uh, remember the guys with the baseball bats and... Uh... With the makeup, yes, yeah. And, uh, they were running through Central Park and stuff. It was a great movie, you know, Walter. I that name, I forget the name of the gang. Yeah, that movie was done on such a minimal budget. We're not talking millions and millions of dollars. And to this day, it is a cult classic. A cult classic, is, Walter. Yeah, that was back in the day when the bathrooms were open in the subway. That is correct. Except you always had to watch out that you'd have queer yeah. eyes on the back of a straight guy. Yeah, yeah. And the guys on the roller skates, they followed them into the bathroom and all hell broke loose. That's right. Wow. Yeah. You're a real cognoscente of the Warriors. No, yeah, that was, yeah. Anybody who wants to uh, see how the subway system was back in the day should watch that movie. And then? With all the graffiti and all that stuff. The most famous line of all, Warriors. Come out and play. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was about to mention that with the bottles and the three fingers. That's right. Clicking the yeah, bottles. The ball, and the Warriors hiding, hiding under the boardwalk. Yep. Wow, Walter, <laughs> classy. By the way, uh, Avery, oh, yeah. you take good care of Walter here because he's classic cinema. He memorized <laughs> the lines of the film that came out on February 8th of 1979. Just, just five right, days. Yeah. Five days before I started the Guardian Angels. Really? So when I was on the trains with the Guardian Angels at night, people thought we were the Warriors. Yeah. Although they called us the Burger Boys. Listen, before you let me go, um, I remember you uh, mentioning a couple of months ago, or weeks ago, that if you prefer to live in one place, it would be somewhere in the Bronx. I forget where, where, where Brook and St. Anne's. Yes. Somewhere around there. 138th, Brook, St. Anne's, uh, the projects that are right there. I love I love that area because you can't sleep. It's intense. You know, you're always going to have to battle. Well, I grew up in that neighborhood. I grew up in the Millbrook houses. Oh, right there. And the... Yeah, I went to uh, St. Luke's uh, school. 
Let me tell you, um, you that, was a, that, is. that was a bad mother. Watch your mouth project, Millbrook. <laughs> yeah, I used to go to that school. I grew up in the um, Vietnam era. And, and there uh, was a firehouse, Walter, a firehouse did they, across the street. Did the did Five O ever drag you over to Alexander uh, to no, the police no. precinct? Uh, <laughs> no, but I um, there is a precinct. I don't know if it's the fortieth precinct and the forty first yeah. precinct. I don't yeah. remember where it. Where, what was it? Is the fortieth or forty forty first? Yeah, right there on Alexander. And by the way, uh, you had the other one on yeah. Longwood, uh, further up on Longwood. But oh yeah, that's why they shot a couple of cops a couple of months, uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. A question though: What was the gang that was in your neighborhood when you were growing up? Oh my God, there was so many. Uh, see, let me see if I can. I'm sorry. Let me see if I can remember. Sure. Sure. I know there was so many. It was oh, like one man. on every block. Yeah, but you know, I used to see them hang out. But my my parents, thank God, they 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 were aware, so they kept us well, you know, well protected and stuff like that. But I remember a couple of gang members up oh, there, yeah. filled with gang bangers, and all throughout the Bronx, you had the Savage Skull, Savage Nomads, you had the Black Spades up in Bronx River. So many gang bangers there. That was gang bangers central. Uh, a million people fled New York City in the 70s. We think we have bad times now. 300,000 have fled New York City since the lockdown and pandemic. A million people fled. And most of the people who fled were from the Bronx. And they went over the GW Bridge. And they went up to Palisades Parkway. Next stop, Rockland County. Or they settled in New Jersey. Or they settled in Westchester. Or they just kept going to Florida. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Frederick, who's been holding on quite some time from the state of Michigan, which is in the news cycle. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, uh, Frederick. Uh, hello, Sir Curtis. It is good to talk to you. Thank you. And, which, uh, which, part, which part of Michigan are you calling from? Uh, right in the middle of the lower peninsula, about 100 miles from Muskegon, like you were talking about, had all that lead smell. And, yeah. by the way, my hold on a second, I'm getting my divining rod. You're not mm-hmm. that far from Grand Rapids, which is making the news. Right. I'm in a little town called Clare. It's named after Irish County Clare. But you're right, 100 miles from north of uh, Grand Rapids. But I didn't know what happened in Grand Rapids. I'm oh, let me tell you. One. Let me tell you. Okay, so I think it was uh, last Tuesday or well, Monday. There was a traffic stop. Um, yeah. Young African-American man uh, from uh, a Congolese, so the immigrants, a cop by himself on patrol in uniform, stops him. Uh, he had... Uh, uh, illegal plates on his uh, vehicle, which meant that the plates didn't match up to uh, what the car was supposed to be. Uh, the cop came up to him, told him to stay in the car. He wouldn't stay in the car. It didn't start out real bad, but then all of a sudden the guy would not cooperate, would not adhere to what the cop was asking him to do. So the cop felt uh, he had no choice but to pull his taser out. And then they started wrestling for the taser. Nobody came out from the surrounding houses. You would have thought, hey, come on out, help the cop with this guy, because right then they were just wrestling away. And then at a certain point, as he had uh, this young man uh, face down on the ground, 
He shot him in the back of the head. So the optics don't look good at all, Frederick. And they've had demonstrations say, in fact, it was interesting. You know it's 2022 now because the uh, Black Lives Matter demonstrators were downtown. You know where Amway uh, Place is? Yeah, it's by President Ford's grave in a in a park. Yeah, and you know that's the international headquarters for Amway, and a lot of yep. Dutch reformed, a lot of Dutch reformed there. So they're going mm-hmm. through uh, downtown uh, Grand Rapids. No justice, no peace. Black Lives Matter. A few hundred of them, and simultaneously, and this is what could have been like ammonia and bleach. There's a Kid Rock concert, a Kid Rock concert. It was like. The big trumper, like a lot of the people who go to the Kid Rock concerts, fly the Confederate flags, drink Coors beer. They're all assembled there. So you got Black Lives Matter on one side. You got all the Kid Rock uh, concert followers on the other side talking some smack to each other. But luckily, uh, nothing broke out. Uh, so, so far, the um, the demonstrations have been relatively peaceful. But I have a feeling it's going to escalate. It's going to escalate there, but it's not like the summer of 2020. Boy, you could have any situation, and they it would just set off thousands of people into the streets. Hey, Grand Rapids used to typically be a Republican city as opposed to Detroit being Democrat. So uh, I think Grand Rapids is kind of conservative. You would think that the police will try to do something. Well— it's uh, changed. It's changed. When mm. I was there, I was trying to organize a guardian angel group because it was starting uh, to experience uh, crime problems. Uh, and uh, it was a very, very divided city. So you had a lot of the uh, the whites uh, who were Dutch reformed and you had a lot of the blacks who had moved in uh, from uh, from Lansing, from Jackson, from uh, uh, Saginaw, from Flint. Yeah, And so uh, there was no assimilation. Uh, I really felt that that was a city in which uh, there was I I felt a strong racial divide in that city. I I used to be a school bus driver, but it was over in Wisconsin. And um, that's where I kind of kept you in the back of my head when I was driving school bus, because I knew that you and your guys would put up try to do something about crime and when i was a school bus driver <laughs> i almost wish that i could have had a guardian angel's cap while i was driving because the kids each year get a little bit worse a little bit worse and then our bosses are acting like our bosses used to act like eric adams they would never they wouldn't stick up for the bus driver even when the kids were slicing up the upholstery on the back seat and I used to think, well, at least we still have Curtis Sliwa on Earth. Don't give up yet, man. <laughs> well, now that's very kind of you, Frederick. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, your area is going to go through some changes. That Grand Rapids uh, thing could explode at any moment because you're getting a lot of outsiders come in from uh, Illinois, especially from Chicago, from Milwaukee. Yeah. And from Minneapolis, where the Black Lives Matter groups are relatively strong. So if they come in there and they uh, they decide to set it off, you could have some some really bad days going on downtown right outside of uh, Amway headquarters, which is the epicenter of Grand Rapids. 
that's what happened in Kenosha. When before my wife passed away, we were living in Kenosha, and then as soon as I left Kenosha, is when all that screwy stuff happened, and we found out that those Antifa buses were coming into our city, Kenosha, and causing wreaking havoc. Now, did you uh, grow up in Kenosha? No, I grew up here in Clare, Michigan, and I got so sick of the job situation. I used to work at McDonald's, like like you, and we had curb appeal. We tried to keep the uh, curbs clean and stuff, but back in the 80s, it was kind of like a recession in Michigan. And eventually, I just, as soon as I found out what Milwaukee was like, I went, wow, it's not dumpy over here like Detroit. So I stayed in Milwaukee, drove school bus, and then eventually I drove bus down by Chicago and that was fun uh, but it was field trips eventually I switched over to field trips where we always had a teacher on the bus to kind of make them kids behave somewhat yeah no 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 uh, a lot of people don't realize it's not like it used to be uh, for us baby boomers uh, if you uh, uh, were bus to, to school if you had to stand and wait for a bus a yellow bus to take you to school and then to drop you off home now the kids get on the bus, they're like marauders. They bother the bus driver, they bother one another. Some of the buses, they have an attendant on uh, who keeps an eye on them because the bus driver can't drive and keep an eye on them simultaneously. And they give everybody a hard time. They give everybody a hard time. And there's no consequences for their actions, none whatsoever. I used to wish that person in the back would have been able to wear, like, a security guard's uniform or something, whoever was assisting the driver like that. Yeah, no, no, I think the best thing uh, was uh, years ago when there was somebody who was disorderly on a yellow school bus, the bus driver would get up, would figure out who it was that was causing problems, and they'd tell him, guess what, your ride is over, walk home the rest of the way. Boy, I wanted to do that so many times. The worst thing I ever did was I grabbed a kid's backpack from him. He was trying to pass it out the window at a bus stop, and I grabbed his backpack and kind of whipped it on the floor. And then my boss goes, you're not supposed to do that. You could scare, you could frighten these kids or whatever. (laughs) Let me tell you what would happen on the city buses here in the 60s. So you, let's say you were a Ralph Cramden bus driver on the city buses. You would be driving up front. You had to pay your fare. If you didn't pay your fare, you weren't going anywhere. And if you went into the back of the bus where all the troublemakers would go and you started hooting and hollering and disturbing the other passengers, uh, the bus driver would get up and then he'd reach behind his seat and he'd have a big stick. And then he'd start slowly walking to the back of the bus. And then you knew you could you could use the exit doors. Get out the exit doors before he whoop you with that stick like a switch. That kept that butt. You knew that the bus driver was like the sheriff. It was like law and order. And then they told you, bus drivers, you can't lift a hand. You can't do anything. In fact, if you go into Milwaukee now, They have, like, bulletproof glass that separates the bus drivers from people coming on the bus because so many people have tried to stab them, spit at them, hit them. They come on with objects. They refuse to pay the fare. Look at the city of Seattle. They're refusing to pay their fare, just like here in New York City. They walk on like they miss the big stuff. Who do you think you are? Who do you think is going to pay for this system? It's absolutely out of control, Frederick. 
I used to carry a little kit with me uh, to repair the ripped up upholstery. If they sliced it and I drop them off at the uh, shed aquarium or the Adler Planetarium, when they were inside, I was back there fixing, repairing the seats with my own repair kit. And I went to Hobby Lobby and got this matching paint so that it would kind of blend in. And when the kid got back on, he'd say, wow, this guy cares about his bus. He doesn't let his uh, buses get sliced up. You know what that was? Without you knowing it, that's what zero tolerance broken windows is. That means the whole concept that Rudy Giuliani created in New York City. Although it wasn't his concept, he uh, he read about it from Professor Wilson that I had met with many years ago from the University of Southern California. The concept being, if you walk down a block and there's a broken window, and then you return the next day and the window hasn't been repaired, other people are going to come pick up rocks and break the other windows, just like with graffiti. If you don't remove, remove the graffiti right away, other graffiti vandals will come, and soon you're, you're overloaded with graffiti. So without you realizing it, Frederick, you were following the principles of our, the greatest mayor we've ever had in New York, Rudy Giuliani, because you were putting into effect zero tolerance, broken windows. You didn't wait for the bus to go back to the shop. You did it yourself. You fixed it. And notice the kids saw that. And I'll bet you he didn't do it again. And the boss saw it, too. I think the boss was kind of impressed. I did it without permission. And I just thought, you know, it's better than just letting it go. It's what we have to do. We have to do this ourselves. I walk around the street and I pick up trash. And people are like going, what's wrong with you? Why are you picking up trash? You ran for mayor of the city of New York. I said, because... I'm picking up trash because it's on the floor. It needs to be in the basket. If more people did this, we wouldn't have to depend on the sanitation department to do it and all other individuals who are hired as part of these business improvement districts to do it. Trash should be in the basket. Like in Singapore, you walk around Singapore like I walked around Singapore, you can't find a bubblegum wrapper on the floor because if they catch you dropping a bubblegum wrapper... They bring you into the jail. They lay you down. Yeah, they lay you down, you know, as if you're going to get a chiropractic. They take your feet, uh, your shoes off, and they take the rattan, and they hit you on the bottom of your heels. You're not going to be walking around. You're going to be limping around. You're going to remember, don't put anything on the ground. I gave the kids a lecture once. I told them that uh, if they wreck the seats and the rest of the bus, I said that it's going to make your parents' taxes go up somewhat, and then that's going to cut into your little Santa Claus money or whatever. And I tried to make them feel it in the pocketbook, and it might have worked with one or two kids. I picked up trash in Chicago once when a homeless guy, that he was right down the street from the huge uh, Pacific Garden Mission, so I knew he already had his food covered, and they wash your clothes for you for free, and he was out there panhandling to me. Wow, there was tons of trash laying around us, and I just bent over in front of this guy, and I said, look, maybe God will notice if you do what I'm doing. And I picked up the trash, threw it in the trash can right in front of this homeless guy, and I said, do what I'm doing, and then maybe God will see you and reward you and get you out of this lifestyle someday. He acted stunned. And I think I finished by telling him, I'm not telling you nothing worse than what your grandpa or your uncle or somebody probably tried telling you years ago.
No, exactly, Frederick. It's uh, what my father and mother would tell me constantly. Chester who was from Chicago and Francesca from Brooklyn. They would say, Curtis, do good things for others and good things will come in return. Don't ask when, where or how. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Did you ever see that movie Sister Helen from the Bronx? She ran a halfway house. I bet you met her. Uh, to be honest, I didn't see the movie and I didn't meet her, but I heard quite a bit about her. Man, that movie helped me quit drinking. I had a drinking problem before 2005, and that Sister Helen show, she was a tough-talking nun. She, she, she turned into a nun after her husband died, and she would cuss at those guys and make them come home clean at night, and it was... Uh, I I used to know the address, like hundred and something Street in the Bronx. I I, I will do the deep dive, but Frederick, uh, an amazing call from right outside of Grand Rapids, uh, where I spent some time trying to organize the Guardian Angels. I failed there, but can you imagine? They had hundreds of Black Lives Matter demonstrators because that's where uh, the guy from uh, the Congolese guy was shot and killed by the cop in that dispute. So every day there's a no justice, no peace uh, rally going on. But they pass by the Kid Rock concert. All white guys, a lot of them flying, (laughs) rebel flags, drinking Coors beer. Uh, They popped a little uh, yin-yang back and forth. But I would have thought for sure, oh, my God, (laughs) this is going to set it off. And Kid Rock will probably be the same one. Not Chris Rock, Kid Rock. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Little trivia. When I was in Grand Rapids, which is the international headquarters for Amway, which is where they're having all these demonstrations because the black guy, the Congolese guy, was shot in the back of the head by the cop in a traffic uh, stop. You imagine if you had James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number 1, Marching on one side with the Black Lives Matter folks, and then Kid Rock on the other side with all of his concert goers who were in downtown Grand, Grand Rapids today, and it could have been set off. But the interesting thing about James Brown is uh, he was a Republican. He supported Jerry Gerald Ford when he took over for uh, Ronald, to me, for Richard Nixon, who, if you remember, said. America's got to know that its president is not a crook as he took off from Marine One from the front lawn of the White House and then uh, flew the rest of the way to San Clemente and then eventually came back to Saddle River, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. James Brown, godfather of soul, soul brother number one, big time Republican supporter. Supported Eisenhower against uh, Adley Stevenson. Supported Richard Nixon versus JFK. Supported Gerald Ford against Ronald Reagan. Yeah, in the primary. And then supported Ronald Reagan. I know, I read all about it in Jet Magazine, Ebony Magazine. And who was his protege? Al Slim Shady Sharpton. The boy preacher from Stone uh, Avenue in Brownsville. Never ran, never will who so admired James Brown that he decided to get the same kind of hairdo. And he'd go out and he'd preach to the James Brown, Maceo and the Mac crew, 
And before James Brown would come out onto the stage and do the mashed potato and the moonwalk before the pedophile on a pedestal Michael Jackson did, you'd have to learn, uh, you'd have to get a little bit of scripture from the boy preacher, Al Slim Shady Sharpton. But anyway, we've got to go to the phones because they're blazing here at 8 Not Excuse me. Hmm. I just bit myself. <laughs> I'm talking so fast and furiously. I bit myself. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Um, um, Robert, who's calling all the way from Manhattan, your turn to be heard here at WABC. Robert. Good morning, Curtis. Okay, you asked a question. I'm going to answer it in a minute or two. Let's take a walk down history lane for a quick thing. A couple of anniversaries to celebrate. Last Thursday, April 14th, the 157th anniversary of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Wow. It happened on April 14th, 1865. It was Good Friday, five days after Palm Sunday, when uh, Lee, Robert E., surrendered to Grant at Appomattox. And five days later, Lincoln and his wife decided to go to the theater to see a light farce called Our American Cousin, which the uh, reviewers trashed. I mean, they were worse than Rotten Tomatoes when they trashed. Uh, they said it was awful, blah, blah, blah. But Lincoln went, and we know the rest is history. John Wilkes Booth snuck into the box. He shot Lincoln in the back of the head, jumped on the stage yelling Semper Tyrannis, which is the motto of the state of Virginia, kick Semper Tyrannis. And nine days, ten days later, he was uh, killed. That question, was uh, question on that, Robert. Uh, uh, in his box there at the theater when the president was watching the performance, was his wife at his side? Yes. And what about his son? I don't know that, Curtis. I've, I've, you know, I want to do some more reading on the Lincoln assassination. But anyway, that was. I Thursday. just want you to check one thing because I what? believe, and this, I don't know this to be the truth, but I think Lincoln's son was there when his father was assassinated. And then he was at the scene for two future assassinations. Assassinations. Of One President. was Garfield, I yes. believe. Yes. And the other was McKinley. That is correct. I think McKinley what was, was in uh, Buffalo, correct? Buffalo. Right. Buffalo, Buffalo. Okay, now let's get to some other quick anniversaries. Monday, the 18th of April, a couple of interesting World War II anniversaries. It's the 80th anniversary of James Doolittle's raid over Tokyo, which I've told you about before, oh, which had tremendous impact on the war in the South Pacific. 16 B-25 Mitchells launched from the Hornet. When FDR was asked about it, because this was a tremendous propaganda uh, coup for the United States, they asked FDR, where did, this, uh, where did this attack come from? Roosevelt had one word answer, Shangri-La. That's what he said. <laughs> they came from Shangri-La. Okay. April 18th, 18, uh, in 1942. One year later, two things happened on April 18th, 18, uh, 1943. One, sorrowfully enough, terribly, the, the uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, the Jews of the Warsaw Ghetto decided we've had enough. They rose in rebellion. It was, it was a doomed rebellion because obviously the Germans are in total control. Who knows how many they killed? Maybe twenty-five thousand. The rest were the, the ghetto was uh, 
the ghetto was uh, raised, uh, R-A-Z-E-D, raised, uh, and the survivors were obviously shipped east to various death camps like Majdanek, uh, Sobibor, Treblinka, Birkenau, Auschwitz, and Belzec. Okay, one other thing happened on April 18, 1943, in the South Pacific. Uh, American intelligence, who had broken the Japanese JN-25, German, uh, German, Japanese Naval Code, got wind of the fact that Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, the uh, perpetrator of Pearl Harbor, was going to visit the frontline troops in the Solomon Islands. Remember, we were still fighting in the Solomons. Yes. We had just freed Guadalcanal. We were clawing our way up New Georgia, up into New Caledonia, up into New Britain, Bougainville, that whole chain of islands. Well, Yamamoto was coming out to inspect the troops, and he was uh, coming out from Rabal, the great Japanese air and naval base on New Britain. And he was flying to Bougainville, and we found out about it, and we sent a squadron of bombers uh, to intercept his Zero, his A6M Mitsubishi Zero fighter, uh, we shot him down over the jungle, and we did it in such a way that the Japanese never knew that we found out about it because of us breaking their code. Yes. yes. But Yamamoto, and it was a great shock to the Japanese. It was like an earthquake. Their hero in the sun, their, uh, their, their mastermind was dead, and the Japanese never recovered from it. Now, well, you know, it's interesting. You- it's interesting when we read about the life and times of uh, Yamamoto because he had gone to university in California. Uh, it's almost like a totally different presentation of Yamamoto than General Tojo or any of the other oh, Japanese. Oh, Tojo, uh, Hideki Tojo Curtis was a psychopath twice, uh, many times over. If you read the life of Tojo, he was the one who started well he he organized something in japan called the the uh uh, uh the uh, uh tempe tai the uh, military police which was very much like the like the german gestapo the geheime staatspolizei the, the the secret state police the tempe tai he organized it he was a sadistic individual what he did and what how he what he ordered for American prisoners uh, who were uh, taken prisoner in the Philippines, taken prisoner elsewhere, uh, what was done to them, worked to death, uh, starved to death. You know, he com- he attempted to commit seppuku, uh, seppuku. on August 14, 1945. Uh, he failed, but he was tried uh, for war crimes, and he was hung several years later. But I want to answer your question before you get to another call. You asked a question earlier about why Ukrainians came to Winnipeg. Yes. Uh, well, I when I was there, just, just to reset it, I was talking to a Canadian caller who was calling from Winnipeg, and I say, when I, uh, when I passed through Winnipeg, I ran across virtually two types of people. A, the natives, the they call them uh, First Nation people, or we call right. them Indians. And right. then all these Ukrainians were like in the middle of central Canada, which I couldn't figure out. I'll tell you why. You know that Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, the prairie provinces, are great areas for growing things. They're great farming country. Uh, you, by the way, Winnipeg, I don't know if you know this or not, originally was not known as Winnipeg. It was known as Seven Oaks. 
And um, Winnipeg has always been considered the Chicago of Canada. Yes. Uh, people don't realize in New York just how big Canada is. I once took a bus from, uh, well, I've taken many buses and trains in Canada. It can take you three and four and five days to go from Halifax, which is all the way in uh, uh, St. John's, uh, 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 Newfoundland, uh, Nova Scotia. You can go. It'll take you four, five, six days to get to Whitehorse. That's how big the country is. Oh, but I must tell you, it is so beautiful. If you go through uh, Montreal and Quebec and then Toronto and Ontario, and then you hit into Winnipeg, Regina, Saskatchewan, and the warm Chinook winds blow through, and then you're in Alberta with all that shale and all that oil that should have been flowing through the Keystone Pipeline uh, for the benefit of Americans and the world. Uh, but unfortunately, our president, Joe Biden, uh, closed it off. And then over the Rocky Mountains to what is the most gorgeous uh, part of all of Canada, and that is Vancouver. And if you ever can work your way up the coast to Victoria and the rainforest before you hit Alaska, it is really, it is truly God's country. In my mind, Vancouver is uh, more beautiful than San Francisco, and San Francisco not in its present state, but just the optics of it. The most beautiful city in all of America. But boy, is it falling on hard times. Anyway, uh, you're not going to want to miss it coming up. We're going to be talking about uh, Frank Morano's soiree in Atlantic City where he's shooting craps and, believe it or not, teaching gamblers how to shoot craps and lose. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you have uh, Bruce Springsteen, who I hate, I loathe, I despise, the boss. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he's boot collar, working class, and freehold. And then he ended up in uh, Rumson with the one percenters on the Jersey Shore, Ufa. And then he became Farmer Springsteen, declaring that some of his vast property was a farm, so he could write it off on his property taxes. I thought he had homegrown. Hydroponics, but anyway. And then there's Bon Jovi, similar situation. And now there's Frank Morano. He is a shill for New Jersey. Yes, even though he is a proud son of Staten Island, which oftentimes is the forgotten island, the fifth borough of the city of New York. He spends so much time going over the Outer Bridge crossing and then to the New Jersey Turnpike where he gets clipped. And then down the Garden State Parkway where he gets clipped. And he stops into the gas stations there, Luke Oil, and buys Vladimir Putin gas where he gets clipped. And then the Atlantic City Expressway where he gets clipped. And then, as you know, to the crap tables at the Borgata in Atlantic City. That's right. The guy plays roulette. He plays 21, blackjack, but he also plays poker. But his game of choice is craps. Not CeeLo like mine. Not CeeLo like mine. The four, five, and six on the backhand side. You know, I'll shoot three dice like in the streets. But Frank Morano, he's more civilized. He shoots craps. But he loses so much money. And thank God his wife, Rachel, has reined him in because now that they have Carmine, he can't be just going to Atlantic City and giving his money away. 
So now I want you to know that he has had a three-day extravaganza. As many of you know, I had substituted for him early Friday morning when he generally is on 1 to 5. 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays. That's uh, 20 hours a week. And uh, he wanted to let me do his program, which I thought was very hard. I said, there must be a problem, maybe. I don't know, maybe there's a a death in the family, a sickness, God forbid. And then it dawned upon me, in listening to his program earlier that week, that he was a shill for the gaming industry in Atlantic City. I want you to listen to it because I picked it up right away. In fact, let me remind you that years and years ago, there was Congressman Bob the Torch Torricelli. I think he was from, uh, what is he from? Englewood, a teen, uh, Teaneck, uh, ladies and gentlemen. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But he was a jet setter, a trendoid, a freakazoid, who was hooked up with Bianca Jagger after she was hooked up with Mick Jagger. Oh, he liked the ladies. He chased the skirts. And he hung out with Donald Trump at the time, who owned three, count them, three casinos in Atlantic City. And Bob the Torch Torricelli's job was every time any native Indian tribe in New Jersey, of which there are a few, would go to the Bureau of Indian Affairs and declare that they are an official Indian tribe and entitled to have a casino on their reservation, Bob the Torch Torricelli would conduct congressional hearings And like the pit bull he was for Donald Trump, he would basically make it so that there could be no Indian casinos anywhere in New Jersey, which I don't think there are. I mean, I stand to be corrected. Are there any Indian casinos within the Garden State? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Even though there are native Indian tribes in New Jersey. Because every time they would organize, Bob the Torch Torricelli, the pit bull that he was, would do Donald Trump's work, which was to keep out Indian competition. And now I think he's tending to uh, some tomato patch somewhere in uh, mid-New Jersey. If anybody happens to know where Bob the Torch Torricelli is, he's fallen on hard times. Because uh, he was actually shilling. For a North Korean, believe it or not. Nah, not not for a North Korean. For a South Korean doing business in North Korea behind the uh, kimchi curtain of Kim Jong mentally ill. And he was hanging out in Fort Lee. That's right. Not far from where uh, our Mayor Eric Adams lives, apartment 22H. Uh, He still goes in and out of there. He's been spotted, although not as much as when he was Brooklyn Borough President. But he used to hang out in Fort Lee all the time. Big Korean population, as uh, Cliffside Park is, Palisade Park, swings all day and after dark. Remember when it was up and operating, how many of you would take the bus across the George Washington Bridge? You'd be Bobby Rydell, who just recently passed away. The world's largest saltwater pool, an artificial wave machine. Oh, it it couldn't be Palisades Park, right? And then they demolished it. And now when you ride around Palisades Park, swings all day and after dark, Cliffside Park, uh, you see a lot of Korean signage. You see Russian signage at Fort Lee. And then there's Englewood Cliffs, uh, where my very dear friend Mario Kranjak, who is also uh, the attorney for the Guardian Angels, is the mayor, Republican he is. And boy, they're always attacking him there. 
Sort of reminds me of that Stallone, Stallone movie. Remember Copland, which had to do with all those small communities along the Palisades Parkway, Englewood, Eng, Englewood, Teaneck, uh, Tenafly. We could go right on down. Not Alpine. Oh, very exclusive. I mean, in Alpine, they, they don't even have. Uh, can, can I say, well, what address? There is no addresses in Alpine. There are no numeral, numbered addresses in Alpine. Can anybody please explain that? When you drive into Alpine off of the Palisades Parkway, as you go north towards Rockland County, there are no numbered buildings. How the hell does the United States Postal Service deliver the mail? Is it that exclusive that they don't even have a number on their house? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Boy, that would really make it exclusive. 1-800-848-WABC. But I digress. So Frank Morano has been a shill for all the casinos in Atlantic City, especially the ones he loves the best, the Borgata and Ocean. Loves it. I want you to listen because in the recent budget that was agreed to by the supermajority, the Democrats in the state Senate in Albany and the um, Democrats in the Assembly in Albany. There were provisions that would allow for normal-style casinos to exist in New York City, three of them. This means not the Racino and Aqueduct. You know, you would have board games instead of electronic games. Same with Yonkers. And uh, they planned on having another casino. In fact, some had uh, said it would be on top of Saks Fifth Avenue, across from 30 Rock, where we started the program after by talking about how it has a roller rink now, a disco roller rink, replacing the ice skating rink until October. But can you imagine a casino on top of uh, Saks Fifth Avenue would only be for the whales. You have to be a real uh, big roller. And that's the way Frank Morano is being treated this weekend. All accommodations. He's been given the top penthouse room at the Borgata. Uh, he has an au pair at the beck and call of he and Rachel. As he has unlimited access to gambling in which he can never lose. But he can win. And believe it or not, he's even training people to shoot craps and lose. Let's go to the audio tape. You will see how Frank Morano earns these freebies from Atlantic City for shilling for them because he denounced the plan to open up real casinos in New York City. Well, I love casino gambling. And I go to Atlantic City as often as I can. But uh, I've also been to casinos in Las Vegas. I've been to casinos in uh, the Catskills. I've been to casinos on cruise ships. I've been to casinos in uh, Pennsylvania. So the reason I am a walking contradiction is because I think it would be an awful idea, capital A, capital I, awful idea to expand gambling in the New York, New York area. And in North Jersey, I think it would be terrible for for everybody, really, except arguably the casino owners that get to make a lot of money with the expansion of casino gambling. Interesting. He establishes bona fide there that he is a gambler extraordinaire, casinos, cat skills. He's been everywhere. He goes on about how he does not want casinos in Manhattan. 
do you think Times Square, you think Midtown Manhattan really needs casinos? It takes forever to get anywhere in Times Square now or anywhere in Midtown if you're driving. You really want to add the additional traffic of casinos. And look, there are economically depressed or economically struggling areas of the state. Manhattan is not one of them. And Manhattan's problems, economically at least, have to do with other issues aside from a lack of casinos. But they don't have those problems, Frank, in uh, southern New Jersey, along the Jersey Shore. They don't have those problems in Philadelphia, which has their own set of casinos there on the Delaware River. How stupid do you think we are, Frank? But he goes on, shilling for the gaming industry in Atlantic City uh, against any attempts to establish real casinos, not casinos, real casinos in New York City. So there's trying to stick a Manhattan casino into the big ugly. State lawmakers right now are weighing whether to fast-track a move to allow three new casinos in the New York City area. Three! Three! How about you start with one? Let's start with one and see how it goes. So a Monaco-style casino atop Saks Fifth Avenue across the street from St. Patrick's Cathedral. A gambling den with East River views alongside a popular wedding venue. A hard rock casino in the center of Times Square. Wow, he ran through the whole litany. You think he's been hired as a lobbyist by the gaming industry in Atlantic City? Ha, ha, ha. And then listen to this. He uses as an excuse lobbying against... Real casinos in the five boroughs of the city of New York because he might not be able to resist the temptation of shooting craps. You're going to see us losing our paycheck every two weeks at this casino. We, if you have to, if I'm on 49th Street, right? If I have to pass 43rd Street, and I have to pass a casino on a Friday after I've just gotten paid? What do you think I'm doing? Come on. Of course I'm going to go in there and pay. Could I please hear that again? Because that's basically suggesting that he is a um, gambling addict. That he would be incapable of walking past a crap game if it was in the street. A game of CeeLo with three dice, four, five, six... On the backhand side in the street, he would be incapable of passing it because it would lure him into a Venus flytrap. You're going to see us losing our paycheck every two weeks at this casino. We, if you have to, if I'm on 49th Street, right? If I have to pass 43rd Street and I have to pass a casino on a Friday after I've just gotten paid, what do you think I'm doing? Come on, of course I'm going to go in there and pay. You hear him there? Basically, he's saying, yeah, there'll be no money for for Pampers, for little Carmine, for formula for Carmine, to pay the mortgage or to pay the rent, whatever he has to pay in order to have his domicile. And yet, he has no problem with Atlantic City having, what is it, nine, I think, nine active casinos. Naturally, he loves the Borgata, the high-end ones, the ocean. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But hold on. It gets better. Listen to how he lobbying. he's lobbying 
against there being any real casinos in the city of New York. Uh, and there's a lot of sexual innuendo and craps, as you might imagine, as there is in gambling in general. That's why the stigma of a male virgin, you know, you know it's okay for guys uh, to have sex as much as they want, but it's not okay for females to have sex as much as they want before they're married. So the stigma of a male virgin extends to craps, too. That's why a, a guy, a man, that has never played craps before is considered bad luck. Now, he has somehow introduced psychosexual activity to shooting craps in a casino. I want you to play 64, if you can, uh, please, uh, 64, and then 65, and then we're going to go back to that. We're going to go back to what he just said, okay? You're going to see us losing our paycheck every two weeks at this casino. We, If you have to – I'm on 49th Street, right? If I have to pass 43rd Street and I have to pass a casino on a Friday after I've just gotten paid, what do you think I'm doing? Come on. Of course I'm going to go in there and pay – and now, so what this is going to cost us in terms of additional infrastructure, in terms of social welfare spending because of gambling, is going to be very problematic. Very problematic. And I'm not convinced that it's going to be made up by the increased jobs or the increased tax revenue. Sorry. So now he's made the case. But out of everything he said there, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm most interested in is how he says there is a sexual innuendo to the crap game. Uh, And there's a lot of sexual innuendo and craps, as you might imagine, as there is in gambling in general. That's why the stigma of a male virgin, you know, know, it's okay for guys uh, to have sex as much as they want. But it's not okay for females to have sex as much as they want before they're married. So the stigma of a male virgin extends to craps, too. That's why a, a guy, a man, that has never played craps before is considered bad luck. Can you believe that? And now, now, wait, wait, it gets better, ladies and gentlemen. Not only has he been given all kinds of gratuities by the powers that be for the gaming uh, commission there in Atlantic City, all nine, uh, all nine hotels and casinos. Not only does he have unlimited access to gamble however he wants to gamble, along with Rachel. Now, you know him. He's the dry martini guy. Six dry martinis by 12 noon and, you know... He could sail away. He's stiff to the wind. Unlimited drinks. Naturally, a humidor, a box of Cohibas that he's able to uh, smoke while he's in Atlantic City uh, in tribute to how he lobbied against casinos in New York City. You know, not that 10-cent long cheap cigar that he normally uh, smokes. And to have an au pair available to them until Sunday night when they have to return to Staten Island so he can do the show to start the week all over again, 1 to 5, Monday through Friday in the mornings. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then, although I'm going to find it when I do a deep dive, 
He said something to me that was so outrageous. He said that the half hour he does each week shilling for the casinos in Atlantic City, not the casinos in Pennsylvania and Bethlehem, the old U.S. steel plant, not the uh, casinos up at the Mount Airy Lodge. You remember the advertisements there where you would take the champagne bath, remember, and then uh, have the urge to merge. No, 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 no. He's not shilling for the casinos up in Mount Airy Lodge. Uh, or in Wilkes-Barre, I wonder if any of you have been to those casinos and can make uh, favorable comparisons to Atlantic City that Frank Morano is shilling for. Uh, the casino in Wilkes-Barre, the casino in Mount Airy Lodge, uh, the casino in Bethlehem, the old U.S. Uh, steel plant, the casinos along the Delaware River in Philadelphia, and, of course, the casinos that are out uh, in Connecticut. Uh, the two ca- casinos, uh, Mohegan uh, and I think Sun, I forget their name. Anyway, uh, the the Pequot Indians uh, run those two. I'd like you to make favorable comparisons because, according to Frank Morano, the only place that should have casinos is Atlantic City. All nine casinos and hotels, starting with the ones that are catering to him, the Borgata and the Ocean. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But it gets better. While he's been there on this uh, 72-hour, three-day, all-paid vacation, everything covered by the casinos, like he's a whale, he's actually conducting a class in shooting craps for all the suckers. I mean, the... Uh, the other people coming there, he's got a whole table, Frank Morano, WABC, the other side of midnight, professional crap player. Yeah, professional bull feather thrower, that's what I call him. Actually, a big table. And then he's got Rachel there with Carmine, and people are lining up and signing autographs. And once they're finished that, then they go into a room, huge room, where normally they play poker at the Borgata. They clear that out. And Frank Morano is instructing suckers, I mean, uh, uh, crap players, in the ways to lose your money. I want you to listen to his instructions. Come out, rule. New shooter coming out. All right. Uh, we got eight. Eight. Eight easy. We got eight easy. What is that, like uh, over easy? You know, you want your toast, dry toast, uh, and your bacon here? Can I hear that again for the cognoscenti out there? Can you please tell me exactly what Frank Morano is saying, whether as a crap player this is correct for the benefit of the gambler or correct for the benefit of the house who's sponsoring and paying for Frank to get these crap players to lose their money? Come out, rule. New shooter coming out. All right. Uh, we got eight. Eight. Eight easy. Now he goes on to show you even other ways to lose your your very important money. Come on. Come on. Come on. Five, five, seven. Come on. Five. Seven. Crapped out. Okay. So now I've lost another $60. This is... <laughs> Frighteningly realistic. Okay. So he's losing money while he's teaching people how to shoot craps. 
I got to hear that one again. I, I can't believe this, that people would actually pay money to sign up for a class on how to shoot dice with Frank Morano. Come on, come on, come on. Five, five, seven, come on, five. Seven. Crapped out. Okay. So now I've lost another $60. This is <laughs> frighteningly realistic. Okay. And you see when he's saying, come on, come on, come on, he's got the dice in his hand, and Rachel is blowing into his hand to give him luck. Oh, it continues, though. It continues. Come on, 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 come on. Wow. This is incredible. But there is a backlash, ladies and gentlemen. I think many of his listeners who can listen to Frank Morano Monday through Fridays from 1 in the morning to 5 have caught on to the fact that he speaks with a forked tongue. Listen to one of his loyal listeners who called in. Like, I want to get into his gambling habits. He says he's a DG gambler. Well, what exactly does that mean? Because I know a few DG gamblers, and they don't sound like Frank. I don't know if Frank is only embellishing a little bit, or is he a DG gambler? I know he likes to play craps, but the other day, I heard him talking to somebody, but he's talking to this gentleman, and he says, yeah, you know, I like to play video poker. I said, what? You're a crap playing to play video poker? I don't get it. So maybe you can tell me what that means. Interesting. He's right. His caller is on to him. He wouldn't be a video game player playing the slots if he really were a crap player. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Yeah, I think we've smoked him out. Come if on, you happen, come on, come on. What? Five, five, seven. Come on, five. Seven. Crapped out. Crapped out, yeah. And he's instructing other losers to lose even more moolah moolah scatter. Come on, 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 come on. Come on, come on, come on. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to Bobby calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Hey, Travis. Good to talk to you. Listen, I did a little, very little research on a little computer, and I came up with August 5th, 1967. Do you know what that is? All right, so we've been uh, learning tonight all different dates and their importance in history. So what is the date again? August, uh, August 5th, 1967. Wow, 1967. Hmm, August 5th, 1967. Okay. No, no, it doesn't resonate with me. Uh, What is the importance of that date? Well, it should resonate to Frank. That's his birthday. How do you know that? I did a little research. And how much research, how much research did you do? It wasn't much. Actually, I was going through these little different website things, and some of them have questions where people ask. And one question was, when was Frank born? (laughs) 
So it was that easy, right at the tip of your fingers, right on the computer. Yeah, it was that easy. It was that easy. Well, wait a second. You know, Frank has flexed on this. He's talking a great deal about this. How he's never going to reveal how old he is. Well, I guess once, you know, with my stuff in the computer, once it's in there, it's in there. I don't know how stuff gets in there, but. And that, that was his birthday, August 5th, 1967. Now, you would swear on that? Yeah, that's what I found, yeah. Definitely, that's what I found. Yeah, but, you know, that's a very common name, Frank Morano. No, no, no. These were all, 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 I went to Google and I put in Frank Morano and I got all his radio stuff. And, you know, you go to one, one, you know, you go down and one and it tells you, you, you click on it and it gives you a, a whole bunch of stuff. And I kept clicking on him and clicking on him. And then when I was going to another one, I passed these, I think they call it most popular questions or something. And one who was when he was born. Well, so I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, Bobby, you make it sound a little too easy because uh, I remember I when I know it's, I remember it seems, when it seems too easy. I remember when Donald Trump was going after then President Barack Obama, the birther thing, to try to get his uh, birth certificate, and uh, he was moving in a, a million different directions uh, instead of Hawaii itself, and then Barack Obama said, "You can't touch this like MC Hammer." But I have a feeling uh, that um, you might have been thrown off guard. Okay, but Curtis, please check it yourself. All right, so uh, I'm do, I'm writing do, it down. Google Frank Morano. All right, I'm going to check it out. It's about three, because about three paragraphs down. And what do you ever call those? You know, you press on the first one, it gives you a story or something, certain stuff, and you keep going down, and they got these questions. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. Okay. Although I, I'm a, I, hope I, I hope it's right for you. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little jaundiced on this. I know what Frank has been saying. And it's certainly not that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You know, Frank Morano is shilling so much for the gaming interests in Atlantic City's all nine casinos and hotels. Then he might as well be up there in the lexicon of the infamous from New Jersey, the boss, Bruce Springsteen, who I despise, I loathe, Bon Jovi, and Shamu, El Jefe, Chris Christie. Now, let's go back to what Frank Morano has said about his own age. I'll let people can continue to debate about my age. That's something society will never know. So, in extrapolating what our previous caller had said, he claimed uh, August 5th of 1967. You know, my best subject uh, was never math. But I believe that would make, uh, make Frank Morano 55. That would be, like, impossible. I mean, I'm 68. There's no way. Frank Morano is like um, in his 30s. Boy, I don't know where you're getting this information from. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And by the way, if you happen to be down in Atlantic City, especially at the Borgata, Frank Morano apparently is on a roll shooting craps. And uh, every afternoon, right after the Bluebird special, he is teaching a class on how to lose in craps. Come on, 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 come on. And the beautiful Rachel is side by side with him, blowing into his hand as he clasps the dice and then shoots craps. By the way, in advance of Joe Pekis. Boy, I bit my lip, boy. That's I'm paying the price for that. I would have rather gotten punched in the lip than getting bit in the lip. No, no, no. Nobody bit me. I bit myself. But Joe Piscopo coming up from 6 to 8. I wonder if he's going to play that song. Do any of you know what song that is where Frank Sinatra, as Joe Piscopo would call him, Mr. Sinatra, where he's on the stage, he's wearing his fedora. He's in his uh, much younger term of his life, and he's actually acting like he's shooting dice. He, he probably does three or five throws of dice. Uh, it's as if he had dice in his hand. He doesn't, but while he's singing the song, he's got the fedora on, he's got a nice suit on, he's very thin at the time, and he's acting like he's shooting dice. Three or four, five times, he, he's like throwing it as if it were dice. What particular song is that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Leah in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leah. Uh, hi, Curtis. First of all, I want to wish you and your family a very happy holiday. Well, thank you. Thank you, Leah. Okay. Uh, you mentioned earlier evening that uh, Lennon's birthday is in April. Yes, uh, in fact, I, it's not John Lennon; it's Vladimir Lennon. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, know. But uh, I believe that's the day of uh, Frank's brother's birthday uh, wedding. What? Well, well, wait a second. You mean the twenty second? I don't know what date it is, but I know. I remember a, a couple of we- weeks ago. Well, you do understand that Vladimir Lenin's birthday is two yeah. days after Adolf Hitler's birthday. Adolf Hitler's birthday is April 20th. That's when everyone oh, I thinks. I know that. I know that. Right. I know that because uh, someone made a point to come over to me a couple of years ago and give me that information. Right. So you have Hitler on the 20th, Vladimir Lenin on the 22nd. And remember. No, but uh, Frank, Frank's brother is getting married on Lenin's birthday in Hawaii. Oh, I think you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yes, because uh, he has two brothers and the brother who's getting right. Nicholas Nicholas. and Nicholas is not spelled the Italian uh, way. It's spelled the Russian Russian way. way. Yes. Yeah, that's right. You had mentioned that. But I also remember that uh, a couple of months ago when he. And now we have that his brother is getting married and everything. And he was very concerned as to what to do because uh, his uh, son was only a couple of months old. And, uh, you know, to, to bring him and to take him and everything. And there were a couple of people that called in giving him advice. And uh, I believe he was going without uh, Rachel. 
Well, it's a very difficult trip. I've done that many times. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah, sure. But, but I will matter, say this. As a matter I, of fact, as a matter of fact, he even mentioned on the program that it was very selfish of his brother to make the wedding because the, the kid is so young. All right. But, Leah, you are right. If the, the brother, remember, he announced that his brother Nicholas, and it's spelled the Russian mm-hmm. way, not the Italian way, Nicholas, uh, is mm-hmm. a communist. Remember, the, his brother was on Jesse Waters, you know, in the street interviews. Yeah. And he announced how successful his brother has been in life academically. He got a master's. He got a Ph.D. But he Mm -hmm. did say that his brother, he believes in communism. And that would make a lot of sense that his brother would be getting married on a Friday, which is the 22nd, which is the birthday of Vladimir Lenin. And are you aware that the Russians had a fort in Hawaii? No. Oh, yeah. Now, they no longer have that fort. But Uh when they sold Alaska to us, they had a fort in Hawaii so that when their ships were making the long trip through the Pacific, they would have a port of call. So it was like a trade that we made. In fact, they had uh, a total of four, count them, four forts uh, throughout the uh, four islands uh, of uh, Hawaii. So this makes a lot of sense, Leah. Yeah, it's very interesting. No, but, you know, I, I was surprised that you'd mentioned it before when you mentioned about Leonard's birthday. Yeah. No, no, thank you for reminding me of that, Leah. And uh, he hasn't mentioned it since. Well, would you, with Russia looking so bad of late, being so oppressive violating the rights of Ukrainians, being accused of genocide now by everybody from Trump to Biden to Boris Johnson. I think uh, he regrets having mentioned how his brother's name was Nicholas, named after Tsar Nicholas, not the Italian form of Nicholas, how his brother is a communist. He said that. I didn't. Uh, Because of his appearance on the Jesse Waters show. Mm -hmm. And I remember young Nicholas We were out in the south shore of Staten Island at the furthest end of Tottenville. There is a like a restaurant bar there at the end of the Staten Island rapid transit line, which is their form of subway. And uh, we were hitting golf balls from uh, Tottenville there, the the tip of it, trying to get it over to Perth Amboy. You can almost reach out and touch uh, Perth Amboy and South Amboy. And they had pictures of Hillary Rodham Clinton on it. And so all the Republicans were taking turns trying to hit the golf ball across the Arthur Kill to kill Van Coe. A few of them made it. A few others didn't. It ended up getting incinerated because, you know, if you were to fall in the Arthur Kill or the Kill Van Coe, you'd probably be incinerated. There's so much toxicity there, uh, so many chemicals in there. But I will tell you that this makes sense because – When I had to get back to the Staten Island Ferry, Frank said, my car is in the repair shop. My brother Nicholas will drive us to the ferry, and then he'll drive me to my house. And Nicholas was driving the Russian-made Lada, of which there are very few of those cars in the United States. Uh Uh-huh. So the brothers are full-fledged. Tommy. I think Frank has to really explain that, because he said it. You know what else I find very strange? 
Now, he always talks about his family. That is true. His mother, his, his mother, his father, his step-parents, this, that, the other thing. But he never mentions Rachel's family. Very, very rarely. Very rarely. There may, be, that, there, there may be a reason for that, Leah. I, I've thought about that. Well, thought about that. we we need to give it we need to give it more thought. I think remember where there's smoke, there's fire, Leah. Yeah. Well, I think I told you that he mentioned that his uh, uh, that she is either Jewish or half Jewish or something. No, she was born Jewish that with the name yeah. Rachel, but apparently uh-huh. her family became a evangelical. Yeah. And so they can't figure out where their son, Carmine, is going to be baptized. Well, they decided on an evangelical place in the uh, uh, downtown New York, and then someone told them that that is going to be the path of the um, the bicycle uh, marathon. Yes, that is uh, that is correct. You know, the that, church, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, they're looking around for another place. Well, now. well, look. It's obvious he needs to go back to his roots and knock this off. He's like religious shopping. Thank you. Thank you, Curtis. You know, it's like, imagine the old Alexanders, the first floor, you have Western Christians. The second floor, you have Eastern Christianity. Third floor, you have the Jewish faith. Fourth floor, you have the Muslims. Fifth floor, you have the Hindus. He's religion shopping now. He's now claiming, Leah, to be a Methodist. Uh, the same religion that is followed by both Bush 43 and Hillary Rodham Clinton. Uh, Leah, did you ever go to a Presbyterian or a Methodist house uh, for a holiday dinner? Like uh, in a few hours, many people will be having. Let me tell you how frugal they are. I'm being kind to them. You sit down, right, for the Easter dinner. You get a thin slice of roast beef. You get maybe four asparagus (laughs) tips. You get four string beans. And then you get that green moldy jello, and don't ask for seconds. Don't ask for seconds. Mm-hmm. That's not Frank well, Morano. There's no way he could survive as a Methodist or a Presbyterian. No way. Well, when you said to go back to his roots, I thought you meant his Morano roots. Exactly, to the Roman Catholic faith, or before that, the Jewish faith, because. Uh, His family, if you follow the lineage, if you go out to Salt Lake City and they follow Mm -hmm. everybody's lineage, and if he would have put in a request to find out the roots of his existence with his great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, you will find out that they were Jews who were in Spain at the time of the Inquisition. They Mm -hmm. They chose not to flee. But Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand, their troops, would find the Jews and they would say, you have a choice, off with your head or you become a Murano, which would mean you gave up your Jewish religion and accepted the religion of the Roman Catholic faith. That's how the term Murano came about. Oh, I know. But he claims that, first of all, he will not do any genealogy because he uh, he doesn't believe in giving his uh, his information out to people. His DNA, you see, he doesn't want yeah. his DNA out there because we will then be able to figure out these uh, riddles, these enigmas. Mm-hmm. 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 You understand? And then also he claims 
that he spells his name differently from the, the you know, so-called Moranos. And if you notice, he protects everything, including his age. He doesn't mm-hmm. want anybody to know his age. I'll let people can continue to debate about my age. That's something society will never know. You hear that, Leah? Yes, sir. Imagine a person unwilling to tell you their age. There, there's something wrong there, Leah. Well, maybe she has something to hide. Well, I think it's incumbent upon us. He's enjoying himself in Atlantic City this weekend with his lovely wife, Rachel, and their baby, uh, their baby uh, Carmine. Uh, they have an au pair there who has been provided for them. He's shooting craps. And he can't lose because uh, they won't let him lose. They want him to win because he's done such a good job shilling for their casinos against New York City potential casinos. And now he's training people how to shoot craps and lose, Leah. But, but Curtis, that is so strange because here's the baby is, what, five months old? And he hasn't been baptized yet? Now, I don't care what, you know, what, uh, what uh, uh, thing you are. But don't you have to be baptized by a certain time before you go to purgatory? No, no, no. Well, if you're a Roman Catholic, yes. But uh, if you are a member of another faith, you know, especially the Protestants, uh, they could oh, be 28 I, I years that. old and they dunk them in the bathtub. You've seen that oh, before, okay. right? No. Oh, yeah. They, they take them and they bend them backwards and they push them mm-hmm. down into the bathtub if they like mm-hmm. them, they let them up. If they don't like them, it's a struggle for them to get out of the bathtub. Oh, you, 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 you Aaliyah, there's so much that you need to know. And so little time. I realize a lot of you are saying, oh, what do you mean so little time? You've done 24 hours this weekend. It's always broadcasting, Curtis. But we are just stripping away the layers. This is like an artichoke. You know how you start in the outside of an artichoke? That's the hardest part. And, okay, you eat a little bit of that, but you work your way into the heart, the soul of the artichoke. And then you're satisfied. If you just eat the outside leaves of the artichoke, you're never satisfied. And I'm not going to be satisfied with this this small amount of information that we have. No, no, I'm going to continue to do the deep dive. Come on, 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 come on. Well, I play this song. This is the Shirelles. In honor of Cousin Brucie, a.k.a. Bruce Morrow, who I had a long discussion with earlier tonight as I was doing my show prep. Great discussion. It's like we were in the time machine going back to Brooklyn where we both grew up. He went to Madison High School, the same high school that produced the Schmuck the Putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, and... uh, Chief Justice Ginsburg, who is no longer with us, but most importantly, created Bruce Morrow, a.k.a. Cousin Brucey. Great school, produced many of you who are listening right now, and uh, Cousin Brucey told me that his first radio gig was in Bermuda. It's the only place uh, he could get a radio gig from there. I think he went to WINZ in uh, Florida And then came back to New York City, and you know the rest of that story. Oh, it was a great, great night. 
Uh, and then naturally to listen to Tony Orlando without dawn, very nostalgic, very nostalgic. But let's go to the phones one eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 to Francis, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here. Oh, Buona Pasqua, Curtis. Thanks for everything. You are such an icon for the city. Oh, so wish that you were our mayor this time around. But I hope that you keep those dreams alive. We really need you. Thanks for everything you do. But, you know, wasn't it Frank Sinatra? He did the Luck Be a Lady Tonight. He did an incredible skit. I remember my brother-in-law loved him, loved him. So I'm down in, um, I think he did play Atlantic City quite a bit, uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, let me tell you why I asked the question. Uh, I was at Newsmax earlier uh, on uh, Saturday morning. I had to do two hits about crime in America. So I'm waiting in their green room. And they had a station on, it was called N2, obviously Newsmax 1 is the main station, and they had N2, and I was transfixed. I wasn't going to leave the green room. I was going to stay there all day. It's like it's like a history channel. I saw wow. all this vintage footage of Frank Sinatra. I couldn't oh my put gosh. I couldn't put the audio on because there were other people in the green room and there were other hosts and hostesses preparing. So all yeah. they had all the TV stations on the wall. This N two. So I sent a note out to the guy who's the owner and operator who I knew for years as a right. gumshoe reporter for the New York Post. In fact, when I was shot. In June 19th in 1992, uh, uh, five times with hollow point bullets on the orders of Gotti Sr., the Gotti Jr., and the Gambino crime family. Chris Ruddy was a New York Post reporter. He substituted for me on Angels in the Morning with my wife, Lisa, at that time for about a week. Uh, So that's how far back I go. So I'm sitting there, and I sent a little notation to Chris Ruddy, and he sends back to me, Yes, that is part of our network, our growing network. I got to tell you, forget everything else I've seen on TV, including the History Channel, which for a while it was just the Hitler Channel, especially with April 20th coming up. This stuff was so good. And then I saw stuff from 1969. I saw Spiro Agnew video. I saw Richard Nixon. I saw Woodstock. I saw the landing on the moon. I saw so much vintage footage. I couldn't listen to any of it. But I, it's almost like I was in the time machine, Francis, because you lived through that and I lived through that. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. That's what's such a such a great thing. It is like a time machine when we when we tune into you, and you have such incredible. What you must have like a photogenic memory. Remember the eidetic memory to remember all these wonderful tidbits because it does bring us back. And you mentioned Alexander's uh, store. We remember that so well. I remember Alexander's. That you remember the furrier in uh, Alexander's. Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes, big time, yes. Oh, my goodness. In fact, my uncle was a furrier. You know, I have one quick question for you, Curtis, regarding Easter. On Holy Saturday, did the Polish people have a ceremony where they would bring their their Easter baskets to be blessed by the priests, and it included uh, many of the foods that are that are. Oh, know, well, Easter? Francis, I promise you we are going to get to that and so much more about the traditions of Easter from the Polish side, which is a lot different than the Italian side and certainly the Jewish side for Pesach. Uh, There is no fasting when it comes to the Poles and Easter. 
And it's something that they have called blood soup. I'll explain that to you. This is how we started it at 12 midnight. Seems a lifetime ago as we are well into Easter now. Pope Francis is celebrating the Easter Mass at the Vatican. Hundreds have turned out because, as you know, in the past, they haven't been able to do that in the last two years because of the lockdown and the pandemic that swept Europe and hit them harder than we got hit in North America. So I just want to remind all of you that in this nostalgic ride that we take on the other other side of midnight, Every uh, Saturday morning, as we go from 12 midnight to 6, and then every Sunday morning, as we're doing right now, from 12 midnight to 6, we try to reconnect you with all those things that brought you great joy, great knockers. And we started out the uh, early morning program telling you how a roller disco rink has been opened up in Rockefeller Center, right outside of 30 Rock. Across the street from Saks, replacing the ice skating rink, which has been traditional there since the start of World War II, 1940. But how do I know that? My father, Chester, told me that, along with my mother, Frances, because that's where he proposed to her right before he shipped off to World War II, soon after he got married to my mother in St. Patrick's Cathedral, right across the street. And he told me back then it was a roller rink. And I would always say to him, no, no, Dad, no, 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 it's an ice skating rink. He goes, I know, son, it's an ice skating rink now. But when I proposed to your mother, that area in Rockefeller Center outside of 30 Rock was a roller rink, not an ice skating rink. And now it is returned to its roots. And I'm suggesting to all of you who used to strap on your skates and go to all the various roller disco establishments throughout the tri-state area. Come on down and enjoy the pass. Come to Rockefeller Center. Rent those those, uh, roller skates and enjoy yourself because the DJ today was like pumping it out. I could hear the energy in the air. I could hear the tourists coming down into the skate area along with the many locals. And it was like one of the few things to really want to just put your hands in the air like you just didn't care. I saw the Easter bonnets being worn by women going up and down Fifth Avenue. And yeah, 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 some men. And the kids dressed up as Easter bunnies. So at least we had the feel of Easter. We're not back here in New York City as we should be. But today I felt, wow, there was some of that. Not that many tourists, not that many visitors, but it wasn't overcrowded either, as is typical for the holiday season. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But we have to, uh, before we do anything else, we have to answer Francis in Queens. She asked me uh, about what uh, the Polish way of celebrating Easter is, which is in many respects a lot different than what it is for the Italians or the Irish, uh, of which I've experienced. Uh, But it's, uh, I would say it's more akin, believe it or not, to how the Jews prepare for Pesach. And I'll let you know momentarily 
uh, gentlemen, let me know when we have the chance so I can get into it and really start riffing. First off, uh, I didn't spend as much time with the Polish part of my family as obviously the Italian part. I lived in Canarsie, Brooklyn, in the home of my grandfather and grandmother, which was the tradition uh, of Italians, uh, the youngest uh, female. The youngest daughter is the one who has to take care of the parents. And my uh, mother, Frances, was the 13th child. The last drop uh, was born on Skillman Street in Brooklyn, underneath a sink, and delivered uh, from my grandmother, Nicoletta, by a midwife. That's why I get a good belly laugh when they talk about all the different ways to deliver children nowadays. That was the traditional way, not with a doctor, not with a nurse, but with a midwife. And that's how she came into the world in Brooklyn, where it's all of her brothers and sisters. The 12 uh, brothers and sisters she had were all born in Andrea, along the Adriatic coast in the province de Bari. And Easter for the Italian side of the family was a far different situation than what I experienced uh, on the Polish side. I'll, I'll get to that momentarily, because I'll make comparisons uh, to the way Roman Catholics uh, have celebrated it. But the Polish were very different in a lot of ways. So first and foremost, when I would visit Chicago for Easter, there was my grandmother, Wanda. And uh, the family there all lived in the same house. It was a four-story walk-up. In the south side of Chicago, 46 in Rockwell. Uh, it was not far from Kaminsky Park, south side, uh, and Bridgeport, which is where all the Irish lived. In fact, that's where the Daly family, the Daly machine lived. But the family, my family, the Sliwa family, lived in the predominantly Polish area, where if you go, you go there now, it's uh, predominantly Mexican. And uh, the whole idea was that you would be going to church prior to Easter Sunday, not just for Good Friday, but for Good Saturday. Uh, And uh, a lot of the Poles were very religious. What I noticed that was different in Chicago that was not very similar here in New York City was that in Chicago, almost every ethnic group had their own Catholic church. And you only went to your own Catholic church. So the Poles had Catholic churches and Catholic parishes that were different than the Germans or the French or the Italians or any other groups that were of the Catholic faith. And it's almost as if the Italians did not go to the Polish uh, Catholic church. The Irish did not go to the Italian Catholic church. And to be honest with you, there were so many Catholic churches in Chicago, especially the South Side, that almost every other every other block was a Catholic church. And I remember as a child, I was uh, walking into the Irish Catholic church, and I was told, no, 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 what's your last name? Is it Burke? No, it's not Burke. Is it Daly? No, it's not Daly. What's your last name? Schlieva, because that's the way it's pronounced in Polish. You know, you got to go to the Polish uh, parish, and they pointed me out like three blocks away. It was like the Catholic Church on every block. And there was also a gin mill on every block. Yes, there were bars on every block. And they also were based on your ethnic group. 
So if you were from East Europe, it was divided up. You had the Polish bars, you had the German bars, you had the Ukrainian bars, you had the Slavic bars. It's incredible. Chicago was much, much more bifurcated in that manner than was New York City. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And so for a lot of the Polish women that I saw who were members of our Shliva family, they spent a good deal of time that entire Easter week cleaning up the home. I mean, you talk about spring cleaning. It was a thorough, complete cleaning. Very similar to what the Jews do for Pesach, for Passover, where they have a wooden spoon. And they are trying to find every piece of bread wherever it may be in that domicile. It has to be bread-free. You saw how in many of the neighborhoods they were burning the leavened bread, the unleavened bread had to be completely removed from the household. So I would say to all the Jews right now, hey, you know, the price of bread is going up, the price of eggs, the price of milk. So I'd be more than happy as a righteous Gentile to buy any of the bread in your homes. I'll buy it for a dollar, and then I can resell it for five. <laughs> I'll get that bread off your hands. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So Francis from Queens had mentioned uh, on Good Saturday, which has just passed, would the Polish families bring baskets of food to the local church to be blessed? And the answer is absolutely yes. I can remember my grandmother Wanda doing that. I can remember uh, some of my uh, cousins uh, also doing that. Uh, And everything that was to be served on Easter, had to be blessed in a wicker basket. And there were all kinds of delights, from the fruits that would be served to the nuts, to the kibasi, the pierogies. But there were certain ethnic uh, delights that were made that I was not at all familiar with, uh, having grown up on the Italian side of the family, as opposed to the uh, Polish side of the family, which was in Chicago. They had blood soup. I couldn't understand what the hell blood soup was. Maybe there are some of you out there who grew up as I did uh, on the Polish side of your family, and you can explain to everybody what blood soup was. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then you didn't have turkey. You didn't have ham, although there was always ham available in the Polish family. You didn't have any of those normal meat products or venison products or fowl products. You had goose. That's right. The tradition was goose. And I had never had goose before. But from the village that my grandfather and grandmother came, Anton and Wanda, the village of Limanova, which was in the highlands on the border of Czechoslovakia, it was uh, dairy farms. Uh, the tradition there was to have goose as the main uh, feature of your uh, Polish meal on Easter Sunday. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And the tradition of the Polish family was, if you were the oldest boy, you would go to seminary, you would become a priest. If you were the oldest girl, you would go to convent and you would become a nun. 
Although my grandfather, Anton, opted out on that when my great-great-grandfather came to him and he said, you know, Anton, you're the oldest son. You got to start getting ready to go to seminary. And he goes, oofa, I'm out of here. Snuck out the house, went off to Krakow and became a master craftsman there in southern Poland, earned his way to Liverpool, where he was then hired as a master craftsman to do the cabins on the ocean liners that were taking people from Liverpool in England to the United States. Earned his way over, and then when he got to Ellis Island, the Immigration and Naturalization Service uh, officer at that time asked him, where are you going? He goes, I'm Polish. Uh, I guess I'm going to Chicago because that's where most of the Polish folks went. And that's where the traditions uh, of Easter I was introduced to. For that whole week from Palm Sunday to Easter, the women were scrubbing everything, scrubbing the floor. Uh, They were uh, taking the drapes uh, off uh, of the, uh, the windows, giving it a deep clean. The drapes were being washed, ironed. It's almost as if you had a complete redo of the house. It was like the rebirth of your house. Everything had to be meticulously cleaned and scrubbed. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I can remember in the Polish household, you had the umpava music on your terrestrial radio in the morning. They had their cups of coffee. And you had your coffee cake and your apple strudel. And at that time, all of my uncles were smokers. My father never smoked, but my grandfather, Anton, who died in his late 50s from uh, lung cancer, four packs a day, Chesterfield, no filters. And then my other uncles, they'd be smoking up a storm. You need a... uh, You need an electric saw to cut your way through all the smoke in the house. Nobody ever talked about secondary smoke. No, there was no discussion about that whatsoever. 1-800-848-9222. I would say the other thing about Polish Easter compared to the way the Italians were celebrating it back in Brooklyn and Queens was that you had a lot of food, but it wasn't so much food that there was more food after the Easter meal than there was before. In the Italian household, oh, my God, there was so much food, like 10 times the amount of food that was needed to feed everybody at the table. And it was like a 10-course meal. You know, you had your soup, your brod, with your tortellini. Then you had, uh, oh, yeah, who could ever forget? (laughs) With the little toothpicks in it. And the little uh, twine, you had what turned out to be told to me to be horse meat. Nobody ever told me. I thought I was maybe eating sea biscuit there. Once they told me because you know what that was, the braggio. And then you had all other kinds. You had the macaronis and you had the lasagna. I mean, you got stuffed to the core. And then, of course, there was the turkey and ham. And actually, uh, you had the desserts, the cannolis, the strugliadelle, the various Italian pastries, the coffee would be constantly going, and the men and the women, they'd be playing cards. The kids, we'd be off to our side. The men and women would be constantly playing cards all day long. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And so uh, is the difference that I experienced in growing up on the Italian side of my family, my mother Francesca, and the uh, Polish side of my family from the south side of Chicago, 46 and Rockwell, uh, my father's side, uh, Chester's side. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Giuseppe Joseph calling from Hudson. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Is that me? Loud and clear, Joe. Oh, I'm not in Hudson. Uh, in the Hudson Valley, Curtis. Oh, okay. The mid-Hudson Valley. Which town? Well, your favorite. Camden on the Hudson. Oh, Newburgh. Newburgh. I got a new name for it. It's called Dirty on the Hudson. I walked through the city of Newburgh today. Earlier, I left my house at 1 p.m., and uh, I had a ride down to the city. I had a job to do, but the job was canceled, so I had to walk home. And I walked from Bridge Street all the way to the town of Newburgh, where I live on Fifth Avenue. And boy, let me tell you, I learned something. Newburgh is dirty. Garbage everywhere. Soda caps, millions of them. I even picked up 50 pennies, 47 to be exact, walking up Broadway. Uh, I'm ashamed to say that I'm from Newburgh. It's filthy. I grew up there when I was a kid. and. Uh, I'm disappointed. The well, mayor of that city needs to get out and look like I looked. I've been walking around the city of Newburgh for years. Uh, I live in the town, but I love the city of Newburgh. I grew up on in Washington Heights uh, when uh, well, when I was a kid, and that was quite a while ago. I'm 72. I was born in 1949, and I lived on Johnson Street in Newburgh when I was born, and I moved to Henry Avenue. And I am most disappointed in the mayor, uh, uh, just like we're disappointed in, uh, well, you're not the mayor. I wish you were the mayor. Well, I will tell you, I will tell you this, Joe. Joe, They they vote just a party. They don't know how to vote. They should just stay home. If they don't educate themselves, stay home. All right, Joe, Joe, Ashbet, Ashbet, Joe. Because uh, I know you're angry. You see uh, all kinds of flotsam and jetsam in the street, all kinds of trash. That's also here in New York City. I, I, I probably have never seen our city so dirty in terms of the amount of trash that just accumulates everywhere. People are not picking up after themselves. The sanitation department has had its budget cut. We have all these bids, uh, business improvement districts we never had years ago in which uh, men and women go around picking up trash and changing trash bags all day. And still, it's filthy. It's still dirty. So you know what it's all about, Joseph. As much as we blame the politicians for that, uh, my grandfather on my Italian side, Joseph, in Brooklyn, used to take the broom and he would clean the whole block. And uh, my aunts would say, Pa, Pa, just, just clean up in front of your house. He said, no, 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 no. I can't rest if there's any trash anywhere else on the block. So he would go every day and he would clean the block as other other older folks would, other older Jews and other older Italians who lived in Canarsie would. That was the tradition, Joseph. A new generation, they just don't do that. Can I say something else? Of course, Joseph. All right. And the other thing that I experienced, uh, it's been a few years uh, since I've actually walked through the city of Newburgh. 
I walk because you meet people. If you drive, you're staring at your your window. You're paying attention to driving. You miss out. If they don't walk, you don't meet people and you don't see things. So I was in Walden for four years taking care of an autistic man. I had a stroke in his bedroom, so I'm back in Newburgh. And I'm walking again. Now, what I saw yesterday was a whole new series of stores, beautiful stores. And they were busy, uh, but the merchants don't get out and clean the street. Correct. They're not setting an example for the other people. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, it's uh, Joseph. No, no, you're, you're not going, uh, Joseph. Joseph, you're not going to bed. My job is to keep everybody up. I mean, I'm like high octane, uh, extra caffeinated coffee, jolt cola. You cannot go to sleep until it's six o'clock because I just keep ratcheting it up, as you can see, right, Joe? Yes, I absolutely see. I admire you for that. I don't know where you get all this information from. I think you're an incredible person, well, and I really well, love let me you, tell you and enjoy listening to let you. Let me tell you, because I love Newburgh, too. I love walking down Broadway after uh, passing all those Sitco stations and saying, you know, that's Venezuelan oil, Sitco. But uh, walking down to the water, looking at the Hudson, but a lot of uh, Newburgh is its a reflection of the old I don't think a lot of people realize that former Congresswoman Geraldine Ferrara, who ran for the vice presidency with Walter or with Walter Mondale, was actually born and raised in Newburgh. You would be surprised at a number of people who can trace their roots to growing up in the city of Newburgh. You're right. I just took a picture. I was on Mill Street. It's a little grocery store. And where she was born used to be a cigar factory. Yeah, I mean, these, and I I will bet you that a lot of the children in the schools there, many of them now are immigrant kids, many of them are the sons and daughters of illegal aliens who have settled in there, that they're not being taught that in school. They're not being told all the people who became very successful in life who could trace their roots back, not to New York City, but the city of Newburgh. Yeah. Can I, can I interrupt you and tell you a little story you just brought up? Of course. When I was a child, I lived on Henry Avenue. I had a little girlfriend. We were both about, uh, I don't know, six and seven years old. And I went in her house one day. Her name was Roberta. I went into her house one day, and there was a picture of a man in the, the living room. I walked by it several times, and on maybe the third time, I asked her brother, who's that man? And he said, that's my father. He had a military uniform on. They were a Jewish family. I won't tell you the last name because I don't think that would be appropriate. But um, years later, I asked this question to myself, and then I posed it to the Internet. Was Einstein religious? And uh, up comes the story about a book, Einstein and Me. So I ordered the book. I read the book. And what I realized, the me was the man that I saw in the picture in 1957 or 8. Uh, Roberta was born in 1952. I was born in 1949. I haven't seen her since I moved to the t- uh, town of Newburgh, uh, in 1963, 
she's gone. Never saw her again. She was my sweetheart when I was a kid. Wow. You you remember, you remember. Her last name is in the book. Rabbi, her father was the rabbi that I was reading about who in the, at the end of the war, he went into the concentration camps and pulled out 900 boys. An incredible story. About 900 boys and moved them to different parts of uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, this goes back, uh, of course, to the end of the war, 1945. And, of course, uh, for those of you that are listening and don't know what World War II was, it was an incredible event that shouldn't have happened just as what we got going on right now in another beautiful country going on. Uh, now, anyway. question, question, uh, Joseph. You mentioned this young lady. How old uh, was uh, was she when she was your first sweetheart? Uh, I would guess she, her and I were in the area of uh, seven or eight. That is incredible that you can remember that, the feelings that you had for her at such a young age. You see, nowadays we move at such a fast pace. We have so so many distractions, so much electronics that we fail to go on these retrospectives like you're doing now, jumping in the time machine. And I'm sure as you were speaking, you were, you were imagining, you were actually seeing some of the pictures of which... Oh, absolutely! You got it, Curtis. I just saw his his picture flashed in my head. It's an image that I've always had in my head because I didn't get an answer. Uh, they didn't tell me that he died. Uh, Roberta was born in 1952. He died uh, soon after she was conceived. He was he was part of the UN after he got out of the war. He was a GI Jew. He got out of he got out of the. Uh, <clears throat> Military, and he went to work for the UN. He was crossing the sea one day, uh, probably uh, uh, late 1951. He was on a mission, and uh, when he got word that his son Jay was sick uh, back in Newburgh or, or New York City, I think they were in Manhattan at the time, and he turned around uh, as soon as he got to shore in Europe, he turned around, sailed back to New York. And his son, Jay, died before he got there. Oh, God. And Joseph remembers it as if it was yesterday. That's the way we all have to be. We can never forget our memories. We have to be able to see and not just speak about things, but see it as we're speaking about things. It's as if a movie is going on in your head that you can think back to your youth to your friends or your first sweetheart who was five, six, or seven, and remember all those intricate details. It's what keeps you alive, functioning. It's what keeps you completely focused. Don't ever give up those memories. Consistently remember all those things, both the good and the bad, not just all the good. You don't want just good news bears, but bad news bears also. It's what will keep you sharp. It's when you stop thinking about those things that all of a sudden your your brain, which really provides your energy source to keep you going, especially in your latter years, begins literally to start lowering its capacity. That's why you've got to constantly be remembering, constantly be thinking, 
constantly be focusing about the here, but also about then. That was beautiful what Joseph shared with us, going out there in the streets of Newburgh and describing for us all the garbage, all the trash, all the flotsam and jetsam, and yet all along the way he was picking up pennies, lucky pennies. I think he said 48. That's 48 uh, actions of luck that will be bestowed upon them. By the way, when did this tradition of if you find a penny on the ground, it's a lucky penny. What is that tradition, and why do they say that it's a lucky penny? 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 W.A.B.C. You know, every time we uh, approach Palm Sunday and Easter, I think back to the uh, time that I grew up and uh, all the young men who went off and died or got severely injured, mentally incapacitated to this day, who served in Vietnam. 55,000 plus. So many more who were injured, who came back and then had to deal with the psyche of a country that was rejecting them. They weren't heroes. There was no parade through the canyon of heroes. Uh, To this day, no matter whatever we do, we can't make it up to them. But that's why I'm very jaundiced and very suspicious about our government whenever they start beating the war drums. I'll never forget he was a very popular president at the time. Lyndon Baines Johnson, the Great Society. And then all of a sudden he uh, came on television and he told us about the Gulf of Tonkin, that uh, the North Vietnamese had uh, threatened us in the Gulf of Tonkin and that we had to respond with overwhelming force. And you know the rest of that story. We just got mired in deeper and deeper and deeper. I know that there is a sentiment uh, to get more heavily involved in helping the Ukrainians who are being slaughtered in some parts of their own country at the hands uh, of uh, Vladimir Putin, who has always been an autocratical dictator, but by the way, has used these same methods before in uh, Grozny,a Chechnya, uh, and obviously Aleppo and Syria. So it shouldn't come as a surprise when he did it in those places. It was okay with us, or we just looked the other way. And uh, I think, I think of that Vietnam War era. I think of all those years that people uh, come Palm Sunday and Easter. There was no celebration because uh, they were still in mourning having buried their dead. Their dead having been brought from the jungles of the Mekong, the jungles of Vietnam, or enough uh, of their body parts to be able to bury and to be able to visit. And you'll go on an Easter and you'll see families visiting grave sites. And I always like to have conversations with them as I'd be visiting the grave sites of my father, Chester, and my mother, who are buried together in Queens. And uh, you just listen. You listen because you can still feel the pain of the loss of that family. And to this day, I always say to myself, why? Why? Our number is one 800 let us go to Lori in Newburgh. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lori. Good morning, Curtis. How are you? 
Good. Could you uh, come up to the phone and just speak right directly into the phone, Lori? Yes, I can. Good. I'm actually in the casino. I'm just getting to work, but I heard the guy call from Newburgh, and I've been in Newburgh all my life. So I'm 64, and I can tell you what Easter used to be like years ago. Oh, please we do. Used go, we used to go to Broadway, and we used to park the car on Broadway, and everybody used to walk up and down Broadway with their Easter bonnets on. And that was the big thing to do. And everybody, everybody was out on the streets to show off their Easter bonnets. And also, um, at that time, Downing Park was a big, big park there. And everybody used to go there, and the swans used to be bored at that time. And the pavilion up there, everybody used to go. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Commodore Chocolate is still in Newburgh. Greek Man opened it 55 years ago. The best homemade chocolate, they're still there. So there is still businesses there that are striving. But that city is hurting. It is filthy dirty, just like he said. The waterfront is beautiful, but people are still afraid to go down there because of all the crime down at downtown Newburgh. So it's a, it's a beautiful experience, Newburgh, but it really has changed over the years. No, no, I, I, I could tell in the times I've been there uh, to talk with the people and they would say, Curtis, don't, don't get the impression that the, the Broadway you're walking on now is the Broadway of our youth. It was vibrant. It was- it was beautiful. My mother lit, worked in City Hall all of her life. So I was a kid that used to go in and sit on the mayor's laps. And I mean, we were very much involved. My father worked for the city of Newburgh all his life. And so did my stepfather was a fireman. So my heritage there, I've seen everything change so much over the years. And they're trying so hard. But it's the area that that waterfront is on. Uh, is is depreciating now. The businesses have closed because of COVID. Nothing's open down there but three or four restaurants. And and it's a beautiful, beautiful area. And, yes, Geraldine Ferrara was born there. I remember that. That that was a big thing. So Now, question, when did you see things begin to change? When, when would you say the, the, the biggest changes occurred? Well, the biggest changes occurred in 75. That's when uh, basically they had, they were overturning cars, and I mean it was all racist back then. They I were I was in NFA, and they were coming down the halls with machetes. I mean, so things started changing literally back in '75, as far as I'm concerned. Those racial wars, things were going on back then, and uh, from that time, things have changed. Um, crime rate is incredible up there. No, I know. And unfortunately, Lori, what happens is a lot of men go upstate and do their time in correctional facilities run by the state. And then they get released into halfway houses that are all along Broadway and side streets. Oh, please, if I could tell you, I looked on the Internet not but a month ago, and there is like 150 uh, sexual children predators up there. And they all live in two blocks, the whole block. Every address that they give is all on those streets. So, yes, you're right. That's where they go. And exactly uh, you, you would say to yourself, why have we systemically done that to Newburgh, which at one point was the jewel of the Hudson, and now, as you know, it's called the Camden of the Hudson? Camden of the Hudson, that's right. Joe was right. It, you know, he he went from the ta- from from Newburgh back on Bencard Avenue up to uh, Fifth Avenue, and that's really the cross line of where the town of Newburgh and Newburgh is, and you can see the difference. The town of Newburgh police sit around all day long and do nothing. Uh, there's like 70 or 80 of them. And down in Newburgh, 
they had very little protection down there with the police. And it's like night and day down there. And they make twice as much as the city of Newburgh cops. Oh, there's no doubt about that. What, what, what casino do you work in? I work in Resorts World. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. We're waiting to punch the clock right now to go in and pull all those. Who, Hello. I got to get out of here because I'll say hi to everybody. Yes, yeah, so there's going to be a Resorts World opening up in Newburgh. Wow, there is. When will that be? Uh, they're shooting for October right now. Good morning, love. They're shooting for October for Resorts World to be open. It's going to be all slot, no table games, but it's going to be wonderful. So something is going to be coming to Newburgh. Oh, yeah, and that means Frank Morano will be coming there, that's for sure. <laughs> but it's all slots. But you did remember. Who is that caller? Who is that caller who chastised Frank uh, for playing video, talking about video games? No, no, video uh, video slots. That no real crap player would play video slots. Like, I want to get into his gambling habits. He says he's a DG gambler. Well, what exactly does that mean? Because I know a few DG gamblers, and they don't sound like Frank. I don't know if Frank is only embellishing a little bit, or is he a DG gambler? I know he likes to play craps, but the other day... I heard him talking to somebody, but he's talking to this gentleman, and he says, yeah, you know, I like to play video poker. I said, what? You're a crap player and you're playing video poker? I don't get it. So maybe you can tell me what that means. I wish I did. Uh, Right now, Frank Morano is uh, actually shooting craps because he has been provided the means to do so by the uh, Atlantic City Gaming Commission, who is... Which he has been um, talking about. But then, and this is the most incredible thing, he was giving a lecture about how you shoot craps. He was talking uh, that there is a sexual innuendo in craps. A sexual innuendo in craps. Uh, You go to 42 on that, and if anybody can explain this to me, it is bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, And there's a lot of sexual innuendo in craps, as you might imagine, as there is in gambling in general. That's why the stigma of a male virgin, you you know, it's okay for guys... Uh, to have sex as much as they want, but it's not okay for females to have sex as much as they want before they're married. So the stigma of a male virgin tends to craps too. That's why a a guy, a man, that has never played craps before is considered bad luck. Come on, 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 come on. And the lovely Rachel, his wife, is actually blowing on his hand as he's ready to shoot the dice. But what the hell does it have to do with sex? And then he talks about rolling the dice. If you can please go to 43. Come out, roll. New shooter, coming out. All right. Uh, We got eight. Eight. Eight easy. Eight easy. And then, then he loses. He teaches his students how to lose. Come on, come on. Come on, five, five, seven, come on, five, seven, crapped out. Okay, so now I've lost another $60. This is 
frighteningly realistic. Okay. What the hell? He's teaching everybody there how to lose. And the casinos are subsidizing him to do that. As he puts up a blockade, God forbid, when he hears they're going to have a racino opening up on the banks of the Hudson in Newburgh. You know he's going to be protesting that. By the way, our previous caller was working at resorts in the Catskills, which Frank has been to. Although he doesn't talk much about that. No, because he only wants to promote one place, one place only, Atlantic City, because of all the freebies he gets. Gratuities. Uh, benefits. Um, hmm. Not the kind of benefits that some people get at casinos because he's a happily married man. Let's go to Jerry in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jerry. All right. Um, yes, Jerry. Right, so how you doing, Curtis? I live in Highland, New York, which is a little bit north of um, Newburgh about 12 miles north in, in Ulster County, just over the border. And I go down there because um, I go buy Jamaican food. <laughs> wow. And, um, yeah, they, they, there's a big Jamaican population in Newburgh. Um, I'm African-American. It's a big Jamaican population there. And um, there's some vibrant. Um, there's the, the, the front, the waterfront is beautiful. I bring my son down there. There's a park down there. And um, um, the train comes by, the freight train comes by. Um, but it's bad because you got junkies, you got addicts, you know what I'm saying, that walk around on Broadway, and um, they congregate next to the um, Orange County Motor Vehicle Department. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know exactly where that is. Now, where were you born and raised, yeah? I, I was, well, uh, I was born in Harlem. I had to leave the city. Curtis, I had to leave the city to to live up there. I live in Highland. It's nice up over there, but I live I live in the ghetto. There's a ghetto part of Highland too. <laughs> and what uh, so, when you went up there, what was it first like for you coming out of a big urban area like Harlem? I had to I had to go up I had to go up there because I couldn't afford the rent, and then I couldn't park my car. And I was getting tickets, booted, towed. <laughs> There's camera violations now. I mean, you know, I can't, I can't fight the city. I just want to live. <laughs> I guess that's asking for too much. <laughs> no, no, it should be, it should be part of the quality of life for everybody. Now, look at this irony. We're going to talk about this up next uh, about that uh, shooter, Frank James. None of the cameras worked in the subway. But if you're up on the street, uh, you go 500 feet, they got a speed camera or a red light camera. All of them work because you end up getting the tickets in the mail. And I'm sure it's like that up there. Yeah. Yeah. The problem, the problem, the problem in the city, I love the city. My city is, is gone, man. I lost my virginity on, 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 Forty Second Street, <laughs> and um, you know I love the city of New York, and you know I, I, my, my my mother goes to St. Francis of Assisi. Oh, I know where that is. You know, across the street from the Penn Station. Yeah, I know where that um, is. Yeah, she goes there like three or four times a week. <laughs> she lives in Norwich. She lives in Norwich in the 
52nd Precinct. Yeah, but you see uh, St. Francis there that's uh, run by the Franciscans, and they do a lot of good work with the uh, poor and the impoverished, the homeless. They run a pantry. They run shelters. Yeah. So your mom goes down there. My mother My mother takes the the T train down. But I tell her not to take the train no more. I tell her to take the um the you know the um the um the, the bus, the express bus. Tell her to take the express bus and stay off the trains hmm. because of what's going on with the train situation. Now, what high so, school? What high school did you go to when you were living in the city? Well, I went to I went to um well, I'm from my family's from Southampton, Long Island. That's another story we'll talk about another day, but. Um, I did go to Park West. Um, I got robbed over there too, you know. Man, that that was a tough school, Park West, right next to printing on the west side. Yeah, I got robbed. You know why? Because see, I'm from Harlem. See, Harlem black people got a little bit more money than Brooklyn black people, and they were importing all the blacks from Brooklyn into that high school, so they would rob us. <laughs> They would rob us. They took me into the gym. I mean, into the um auditorium. That's right. And they robbed me in the auditorium. <laughs> and then from there, I went. I, I met. I met my a, a good white guy, a friend of mine, that's been my friend for forty five years. Said, and I ended up in John F. Kennedy High School. Oh yeah, and taking really- taking that escalator to the sky there. Yeah, in Riverdale. I loved it. <laughs> I had, I had white kids again. I had white kids. I seen white kids. <laughs> so yeah. that was that was that was. Well, I, I tell you what, Jerry. Based on on all of these calls that I've had from Newburgh, where I've spent a lot of time, I got to figure out what I can do about it. This is like Camden in New Jersey. Same thing. That's that's rough to deal with it because the state deposits. Uh, people with mental health uh, disorders there in the halfway houses. Uh, as uh, the woman who works uh, uh, in resorts in the Catskills uh, talked about, t- there's two square blocks, and they're all sex offenders. And then naturally, there are guys getting out of prison instead of coming back to Brooklyn or the Bronx. Uh, they just decide, man, it's too hot to handle in Brooklyn or the Bronx. Too many of the young bloods are running the street. Uh, I'm not going to even be able to get back into the swing of things, so they figure it's a hell of a lot easier in a place like Newburgh than it would be in the Bronx or Brooklyn. And they end up settling there. And they become another person's problem, another town's problem, another city's problem. And you, we really think that Governor Hochul even knows anything about Newburgh. Do we think the Democrats or the Republicans know anything about Newburgh? The answer is they don't want to know about Newburgh because then they'd have to do something about Newburgh. And I'm going to have to put my thinking cap on. I got to do something about this. It's right in my backyard. Anyway, up next, I'm going to tell you more about Frank James and how inept our public safety and police were, an FBI, an ATF, and everybody tracking a guy who for 30 hours was walking around the city of New York riding subways, basically wearing a neon light saying, Come get me! Come get me! Great song. And all uh, representative of what is the fourth 
illegal alien bus to arrive in D.C. from Texas. Definitely on the double Dutch bus, that's for sure, although they don't have to pay no fare. It's all at our taxpayers' expense, plus they get an Obama phone, and they promise to come back to court six months from now. Yeah, sure, they're coming back to court. Is this crazy or what? As people prepare to pour across the border, in which all they have to do is when they're at the border at the end of May, when the title uh, is no longer in existence, is just say, I'm seeking asylum, I'm a victim of gangs, I'm a victim of domestic abuse, I'm a victim of tyrannical dictatorial regime, and you get the green light. You come into the United States and you get a bus ride to wherever you want to go. In this case, Governor Abbott in Texas is providing a free bus ride to these illegal aliens right to Washington, D.C., as is Governor DeSantis in Florida. But you say to yourself, how crazy is this? How crazy is this? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then as we've seen, the flights uh, have resumed into Westchester County Airport and Republic Airport out in Long Island. In the wee hours of the morning, uh, small jets are touching down with illegal aliens that have crossed the border. We have no idea how many, where they're going, who's sponsoring them, who's taking the responsibility for them. We know nothing. Uh, Even though we're the suckers who pay all the tax dollars and we're told that, oh, it's transparency. There is no transparency. This is udiscraziata. This is a double shanda. That the government does not even trust the people to be able to tell us why they're sending these people to Westchester County Airport, busing them uh, from there, or Republic Airport out in Long Island, busing them from there. To where? We don't have a right to know. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But there is a guy we know a hell of a lot about, and he helped prove that in many respects, as Mayor Eric Adams said at a communion breakfast about two, make, make that three weeks ago on a Sunday, that we are a laughing stock. We really are. You know, we can put on a good show. And clearly, the mayor at City Hall yesterday recognized the heroism of the MTA workers who immediately threw all caution uh, to the side and rushed to the aid of the passengers who had been shot by Frank James. And there were firefighters who arrived uh, at that station in Sunset Park, 36th Street, where the R and and the D train uh, uh, converge. And that is a very large station. There's a fire department a few blocks away. There's also a police station a few blocks away, the 72nd Precinct. And the last people to arrive were the police. There's something fundamentally wrong. The way our police physical resources are being applied to patrolling major hubs, major junctions, major transit points, where most, most of these problems are going to take place. 36th Street on 4th Avenue, 
It is a very, very heavily trafficked station. And then to go into the subterranean hell, into the belly of the beast, because that's what the subways have become. It's like a combination of uh, Dante's Inferno and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And that crazy person uh, could well be Jack Nicholson. And it's systemic. And then to find out that the MTA, the money-taking agency that spends billions of our hard-earned tax dollars, has appropriated monies for 100, check that, 10,000 cameras. 10,000 cameras that have been spread out within 472 stations that make up the subway system. And that two-thirds of those cameras are not functioning on a regular basis. And the CEO, the chairman of the board of the MTA, the money-taking agency, appointed by Governor Holcomb, and I call her Holcomb because uh, that means nonsense, tells all of us that we are not entitled to know why two-thirds of the cameras are not operable and why they're not being maintained and why the contractor, whoever received that sweetheart contract, is not responsible for doing regular maintenance. We can't seem to get any answers. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So again, let's track the movements of Frank James. It was not difficult to do. This guy was not hiding both before he shot 10 and then in the resultant 30 hours before he turned himself in. At 4.10 in the morning, the day of the shooting, he was spotted in a video camera that was functioning on the Verrazano Bridge coming into Brooklyn. So apparently he had come through the outer bridge crossing on his way up from Philadelphia where he rented the U-Haul van uh, and was staying at an uh, Airbnb. So the guy had some coin. He parks uh, at about 6.30. He gets onto an end train there, which is uh, right by King's Highway. Uh, The van was parked on West 4th Street, and he rides eight stops, eight stops to 36th Street. And while pulling into the station in 36th, he releases two canisters of smoke. Smoke fills up the end train compartment. You cannot go from car to car on the end train. The doors are locked. And people are running, trying to run out of the car, and they fail to be able to do so. He puts on a gas mask because he is at that point dressed, and he looks like any other MTA guy who might be working uh, as part of maintenance, uh, engineering, or is a track worker. He's got the yellow construction helmet on, and he's got the orange vest. And he takes out his 9-millimeter, and he shoots 33 times, hitting 10 people in the smoke, And luckily, his gun jams up. He then uh, jumps on the local R train as everybody is running in every different direction. Takes it one stop to 25th Street in the direction of the city. Again, none of the cameras in the system are functioning. And we've been told basically drop dead. You're not entitled to know, even though we got to pay the freight. Uh, He gets out of the uh, station, the subway station at 25th Street. He starts walking along the barrier of Greenwood Cemetery which was uh, the place oftentimes in the waning days of de Blasio's failed administration. 
he would go on his constitutional every afternoon from 2 to 4 and walk in that cemetery, which is like a museum, but he walked in that cemetery and not Prospect Park de Blasio did because uh, the skeletons did not bother him. When he walked in Prospect Park where he had uh, raised his children with Charlene, he would get booed and hooted. He he, he had no friends anywhere. Uh, so as... Uh, as uh, Frank James is walking along the Greenwood Cemetery, he takes the bus uh, over to Park Slope. Ironically, just uh, two blocks from where Bill de Blasio owns two homes on 7th and 11th. Before going into the subway there and catching the F train, he goes to a convenience store to buy a mask. Even he is wearing a mask in the subway because he realizes that's the orders. Now, imagine out of all the he's just shot 10 people. He's on the corner of 9th, <laughs> 9th Avenue and 11th Street, and he's walking into a convenience store to do what? And he's on camera, that's a working camera, buying a mask as he goes back into the subway to ride round and round and round and round. And we find out that he was staying at the International Hospice, the hostel. Not hospice, excuse me, the hostel. On 20th Street in Chelsea, and right across the street is the 10th Precinct. He was sitting on the stoop, staring at the 10th Precinct. Hello, I'm here, boys and girls. Nothing. So now he gets a little hungry, and he decides after riding for a few hours, this is after he shot the 10 people. Uh, He has since discarded the yellow construction cap and the orange vest, and he is now dressed all in black. He is seen in the wee hours of the morning outside of my favorite pizzeria out of all the pizzerias in the world, Stromboli's, which is right on Avenue A in St. Mark's Place. I lived on Stromboli's for years when I was residing. On Avenue A and St. Mark's, in fact, Stromboli's is on First Avenue. First Avenue and St. Mark's Place. Uh, Used to be Italian. It's now all Albanian. Uh, The pizza is no longer what it used to be in the 80s when I would be there every day. I would buy a pie, a whole pie every day. It was so good. It's not that good anymore. And uh, he's out there at 1 o'clock in the morning. And apparently this was his movement because the Albanians are inside. They're cleaning up. And the worker who was there to do the maintenance said that James, who he did not recognize, Frank James, ended the pizza joint. And the suspect told four guys who were eating slices because they uh, it's in a uh, little enclosed area that he was blind and he asked if he could borrow one of their phones. We don't at this point know if any of those four guys eating their pizza gave uh, him their phone to use. But James soon entered the inside of Stromboli's, which I've been there many times, and asked the Albanian behind the counter who was cleaning up if he could use his phone. And the Albanian said, hey, yeah, I'll give you the phone. And James then used that phone to call a number in Virginia Beach, Listed as belonging to a man and a woman, Frank James claimed the woman was his wife. The number is now disconnected. (laughs) And the response of the police. 
<laughs> earlier today. We're aware of this information, and our squad will be investigating. What do you mean you're aware of it in your squad? This is absolute ineptness on the part of the detectives and the NYPD. Uh, Meantime, Frank James also tried to reach this woman in Virginia uh, as he was going through Facebook Messenger. The woman did not respond to any of James's efforts to reach her while in Stromboli's. The loner, Frank James, was hiding in plain sight. Stromboli's had, yes, working cameras. Eight of them. Whereas uh, at the nearby station at Astor Place on the number six train, if you walk straight down St. Mark's, the cameras were not working. This is incredible. Not only that, the Albanian guy had no idea who Frank James was. In fact, the Albanian guy behind the counter said he was crying like a little baby. He says, oh, I lost my family. I, I, I feel bad. Uh, please, can you help me? Can you help me? So the Albanian gave him water, gave him some napkins. Then the Albanian said that he asked Frank James three times, where you from? How long you been lost? He didn't say nothing. It was like he wasn't hearing what I was asking him. Frank James did not eat, nor did he order food at Stromboli's. Remember, for many years, it was my favorite pizzeria of all time. No longer the case. I don't know what ingredients they're using, but they're they're not top-shelf five-star anymore. Still a good pizza, but not as good as it used to be. Right on the corner of First Avenue and St. Mark's Place. So Frank James leaves after 30 minutes. So that's like 2 o'clock in the morning. And where did he go from 2 o'clock in the morning? He went back to the hostel where he was staying on 20th Street in Chelsea. And he's staring across the street at the 10th precinct. In essence, he might as well have sent up smoke signals. Guys, gals, here I am. It gets worse. It gets worse and worse, this story. And I don't know why all of a sudden the New York City Police Department, the ATF, the FBI, the other security agencies are taking a victory lap. Because, to be quite frank with you, they did little, if anything. For 30 hours, this guy might as well have been wearing a uh, neon light with his name on it. Frank James, I'm the one you want. So now we know a little bit more about Frank James. 2007 was the last time he got busted. And remember, none of these were serious charges. That's why he was able to get a legal handgun in Ohio at a pawn shop. But since 2007, no further arrests, as far as we know, no tickets for traffic violations, nothing. All of a sudden, after being busted a few times in New Jersey and New York, and again, we're not talking serious charges. He was charged with misdemeanors, not felonies. I know the police department made it seem like he was uh, public enemy number one before this shooting. But to be honest with you, he had no felony convictions and was able to legally purchase that gun at a pawn shop in Ohio. What he did recently have in New Jersey outside of Newark was a job as a machinist as Curtis Wright. 
They're a massive defense contractor in New Jersey. And he worked there for 70, 17 months. And he would be asked to fill out inspection sheets and make parts, which he did incorrectly. Then he blew off directives to fix the, fix the sloppy work. And so he decided, as he was being fired at that job after 17 months, that he would sue them. And he sued them in federal court. Boy, the guy had a lot of chutzpah, a lot of huevos, a lot of <laughs> culiones. He makes, he makes parts that are inoperable for the company Curtis Wright. They have all this documentary evidence. And he insisted that he couldn't get any justice for what he just went through, which is he was incompetent, he was inept, he wasn't able to do the job, and he was fired. But what did he do? He sued them in federal court, and like Colin Ferguson that we talked about 24 hours ago, represented himself pro se in federal court. Pro se. These guys have illusions of grandeur. So after being fired, uh, Frank James was arrested for repeatedly calling Curtis Wright to make terroristic threats. He was found guilty of harassment. You see, what happened was he gets hit with a felony charge. He cops a, cops a plea to a misdemeanor and then gets absolutely uh, no time whatsoever. And in fact, in some of these cases I'm looking at in New Jersey and New York for Frank James, he then copped to a disorderly, which is nothing more than a violation. And if you don't get into trouble for six months, yeah, they seal your record. Nobody ever even knows you were arrested. So finally, the federal magistrate tossed Frank James's discrimination case in federal court against his Curtis Wright employer by noting that he failed to explain how his race played a role in his termination. So this guy was a real screwball. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, because we're well aware that the uh, video cameras, uh, two-thirds of them are not working, in the uh, 420 stations that they've been placed in, and remember, there's a total of 10,000, figure out the math, two-thirds of them are not working, we see that there are many cases now coming to our attention in the past few months in which video cameras were not working when major crimes were taking place. So the MDA money-taking agency has decided to stonewall, and they refuse to give out any information on how these live feeds go right to the NYPD. The NYPD is not answering. In fact, when I was uh, helping John Katsimatidis and Lydia Serrani as a substitute for Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg Friday morning from 6 to 10, we had on as a guest... Uh, the deputy mayor in charge of public safety, Phil Banks, uh, we asked him that question uh, about two or three different ways, and he danced around that. But that's that's the core of the problem. That is the core of the problem. And you look at case after case here now that this case involving Frank James has risen uh, front and center. And we can see why. These non-functioning cameras that we have spent millions, make that billions of dollars over the year for, are inoperable, are inept, in some cases are placebos, and whoever got the contract, and you got to believe, 
it was a political contributor, was never forced to have to follow up and do the required maintenance or the required checkups that I'm sure is written into the language of the contract. But then again, since they won't show us anything, I'm not going to take anything for granted. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then finally... It seems that the police department does not, well, they have to begrudgingly give credit to the citizens that dropped dime on Frank James. They really didn't want to do that because they had the advantage. They got the 911 call from Frank James himself, who said, I've been waiting for you. I'm here at Mickey D's on 6th Street and 1st Avenue. I'm going to have a happy meal. I also have to charge my phone. I'm running out of juice. So could you please come by and pick me up? And I know what happened. I know they've been getting pranked all those hours before. No doubt. You know how New Yorkers are. People pretending to be having information about Frank James or pretending to be Frank James. And I know how the 911 operators are. They probably said, yeah, sure, you're Frank James. No, I really am. I'm the guy. You know, I'm all over TV. I'm the guy who shot the 10 people. Sure you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You stay there at that Mickey D's. He said, I have to because he got to charge my phone. He stood at that Mickey D's for 20 minutes. Sixth Street and First Avenue. And the ninth Precinct, which I used to live right near, I got locked up plenty of times in the ninth Precinct. It's just seven blocks away. What were they doing in the ninth Precinct? Filling out paperwork? Well, let's do the paperwork in advance. We're going to go pick up the suspect, Frank James. Let's start doing the paperwork now. This is crazy. Let me rest here. Because this guy went on a 30-hour tour of New York City, did everything in the world to get arrested. And it's almost like the police didn't want to arrest him. And the video cameras that we pay for, none of them work. The video cameras in a bodega in which Jose just came from Santo Domingo, all of them were working. You know, in Cats, Delicatessen, where he had a pastrami sandwich at noon, they have 80 cameras in Katz's Delhi alone. He was in Chinatown. He, he was everywhere. And he was riding the trains most of the night, looking like one of the village people. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. No, Bobby Darren, he wasn't beyond the sea. <laughs> He was at the Mickey D's at 6th Street and 1st Avenue and might as well have uh, had a torch in his hand saying, it's me, it's me, it's me. But I want you to hear what uh, one of the callers said in somehow comparing it to what had happened many, many years ago on the Lower East Side to the trendoid, the freakazoid, Andy Warhol. There was a, a woman, she was a paranoid schizo, uh, that shot Andy Warhol, and she went to the police, and she said to them, I shot Andy Warhol. I had to. I'm losing my mind. She was a paranoid schizophrenic, you know, severely mentally ill. That's true. He almost died. Reminded it happened many, many years before at Bloomstein. Some of you may have remembered that uh, uh, Harlem uh, store. 
you know, it was a mini Macy's, huge store, Bloomstein's in Harlem. It was 1958, Martin Luther King Jr. rising up the ranks of the civil rights movement, had just written a book, and he was um, signing copies of the book as they were being sold at Bloomstein's. And an African-American uh, woman from um, Southeast Queens, nobody recognized, was emotionally disturbed, came up and had a letter opener in her hand, plunged it into the chest of Martin Luther King Jr. He almost perished. He had to be uh, immediately brought to Harlem Hospital where they worked on him and saved his life. Another case of an emotionally disturbed woman, just like the emotionally disturbed woman who had shot Andy Warhol. He was lucky to survive. And like we see with Frank James, uh, he's definitely emotionally disturbed. And as we've seen with so many other shooters of late. But then there are some of you out there who don't buy what uh, the police have told us so far about the modus operandi and how these shootings took place. And just thinking outside the box with the shooting in Brooklyn, like to say, please, please keep the due diligence going. Maybe with the smoke bombs going, this gentleman did not do this alone. We don't know. Maybe there's another shooter. Maybe he gave himself up quickly because he may not have done the shooting. And somebody else was there. Please don't just drop it like we got this guy, you know. I, I, I hear you, Jimmy. But but if you but if you look at the evidence, I mean, this, yeah, of course. this guy was not the smartest, <laughs> was not the smartest. No, no. I mean, he's bonkers. But if this is eyewitnesses, great, case sealed. That's what we need. But also just always just you never know. Wow, this is like the uh, shooter in the grassy knoll involving JFK's assassination with Lee Harvey Oswald doing it. Or as some have said, ah, but he wasn't a lone gunman, huh? And then there were others who said, oh, yeah, it's Black Lives Matter. They did it. I think uh, the guy, Frank James, I think it was a dry run. I don't think he snapped the way people are portraying it. I think that BLM pushed him over the edge. And what I mean by that, just very simply, and you're extremely intelligent. You see through the mist. I love that. I think that it pushed him so far to hatred, there was no coming back. As, but And that's when he went on the train. I don't think that he had this uh, just spur of the moment you know, incident. I think this is something so bigger than that. A friend of mine told me that, that he has a manifesto. Now, that didn't hit the news yet. You're hearing it first. I'm telling you. He had a manifesto. And when that breaks, it's going to list everything in BLM. Back to our own Greg Kelly uh, spoke about that on uh, Friday. Uh, you got to listen to his show. It's every Monday through Friday from 1 to 3. He's uh, really on top of so many issues. He does uh, great talk radio. And if you can't listen to him, uh, appointment radio, just go to the podcast. But the hero of the hour is not getting the attention and recognition from City Hall and the police department that he should. That's Zach. I see the police car, police. We tell him this is the guy. About this is the guy. Uh, he did the problem in the Brooklyn. When we saw this guy, we were like between seventy to eighty percent sure. Is it him? Is it not? So we pull up the picture, the Amber Earl uh, on our phones. We saw the picture. So we confirmed it between the three of us. Oh, that's the guy. That's the hundred percent sure. That's him. So we were ready to call the uh, police. We saw the, uh, uh, the the two guys from the police department. 
him and pulling up on the street. So we go uh, to them. We tell them, oh, he's he's like one block away. He's over there wearing a cap, carrying, uh, carrying his bag and uh, going over there. We went with them and they catch him right away. Oh, it's great, those two Syrians, and especially Zach. He was, like, all excited. It's all effusive. But then the third guy who was part of his trio is Troika, his trinity. His name is Francisco. And Francisco, it turns out, is an illegal alien. An illegal alien from Mexico. And now he's uh, appealed through his attorney to City Hall to say, hey, man, I hope they're not going to send ICE, Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, uh, to collar me on a retainer. Uh, We better not, because this guy did what a lot of other people chose not to do. He got involved. Zach, Zach is a legal immigrant from Syria. He speaks five languages, as is his partner. But Francisco is not. He's an illegal alien who manages uh, an East Village uh, hardware store. He's an illegal alien. I would think even those uh, that are opposed to illegal aliens would say, you'd want to give this guy slack. You'd want to put him, give him an easy pass on his way to uh, a green card and his way to citizenship. Now, there are five who are going to be rewarded with the $50,000 reward that was put up by various entities. Fine. So we know Zach. We know Zach's Syrian friend. We know that Francisco, the illegal alien uh, from Mexico, is now appealing to City Hall to protect him so he doesn't get deported. We know there was one other caller, but they refused to indicate who the the fifth person is. And I'm assuming, I hope this is not the case, but that they're going to give a 10000 chunk out of the 50000 to Frank James himself because he called himself in, <laughs> because he turned himself in. And remember, they got him on tape. They can't deny it. After they didn't come to fetch him at the McDonald's on 6th Street and 1st Avenue, in which he said, I'm here, I'm charging my phone, I'm having a happy meal Uh, He called back again. He said, where are you? I'm waiting here for you to pick me up. They never showed up in 20 minutes. The ninth precinct. It's only about five to seven blocks away. This is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And yet everybody's taking a victory lap. It is mind-boggling to me. (laughs) Mind-boggling. Quote, uh, this is from Frank James. I've been waiting for you. When are you coming? <laughs> when are you coming? <laughs> oh, my God, am I. And then when they finally got him on the street, after Zach and his two partners, you know, run after the police car and stop him, he's charging his phone at the outdoor portal right there on the corner of First Avenue in St. Mark's Place. <laughs> Oh, God, ineptness, like the Keystone Cops. And yet they're all patting each other on the back. Great job, great job. No, no, the citizens did a great job. Zach and the others did a great job. Your cameras didn't do the job, government. They failed us again, even though we spent billions of dollars to initially buy them, install them, and supposedly maintain them. (sighs) 
so quick to want to take a victory lap instead of actually doing the job that can keep everybody safe and secure under any circumstance. Let's go to the phones. It's uh, Car- excuse me. It's uh, Rick calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Yes. Uh, happy Easter, Hawk of New York. How you doing? Thank you. Well, let's walk down memory lane when we were kids in your Easter basket. What was in it? What was your favorite? Okay. We had the chocolate bunny. Yeah, and then you had the white chocolate bunny. No, I never had the white uh, the white chocolate. Yeah, they, bunny. they sucked. You didn't want them. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I didn't want nothing white on Easter. I, it had to be chocolate. <laughs> it had to be chocolate. How about the chocolate uh, coconut egg? Remember that? Oh, no, that I remember. I liked the coconut egg. I really did. That was good. And and, and then now, how about the creepy chocolate cross with the candy lilies on it? That was really creepy, man. Oh, yeah, that was that creeped me out too. You know, even as a kid, I realized, isn't this like an implement of death and misery? You know what I mean? Well, you, you, you got to understand. am I eating the cost that Christ died? I'm a little sicko, you know? I mean, right, but uh, let me ask you a question. Which religion were you raised under? Oh, I'm a recovering Catholic. Okay, recovering Catholic. Now, the Catholics, oh, yeah. the Catholics, they are totally into the crucifixion. The Protestants are not. Oh, oh, is that it? Oh, no, okay. no. The, the Protestants, it's Easter, the resurrection. If you notice, you go into most Protestant churches, you don't see a cross. You don't see Protestants wearing cross. Catholics, I don't go into Protestant churches. I try to stay out of all churches. Oh, yeah, but you should just to, to compare the okay. uh, the all Protestant right. church to the normal Catholic church. Now, now, now also, <clears throat> I heard my very worst thing was Necco wafers. Remember when they throw them in there? Oh, yeah. Oh, I hated oh, those. Oh, they, I used to use them on the sidewalk for chalk, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, God. That was Do you horrible. know that it's one of Frank Morano's favorite? I had a discussion with him. One of his favorite candies. I couldn't believe it. You're kidding. No, no. He loves them. Loves them. Necco wafers. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't stand them. As soon as they saw them, they'd go in the garbage, you know? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, your memory is sharp. Please, like I told you, I can't even remember what I I did yesterday. Now, did you you have the uh, little wicker basket? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, a big wicker basket. What a great holiday. You wake up in the morning and have candy for breakfast. Oh, my God. You know? Now, what kind yeah, of candy? What kind of candy did you have? Oh, every kind of candy you can imagine. My my parents were really good at like diversity. You know, marshmallow eggs. Remember those? Oh, I, I still love uh, licorice jelly beans, man. Licorice jelly beans. You know, Ronald Reagan loved them too. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> right he, now, you can get jelly beans any flavor you want. Any flavor, jalapeno, pina colada, you know, cotton candy, anything you want. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you as a connoisseur of this, did you have any cookies as part of your Easter extravaganza? I think that was blasphemous, wasn't it? Hmm. I don't know. I think it always had to be candy, not cookies or cake. I never got cake in there. No, no, not cake. Not cake, but definitely cookies, like Oreos. Oreos, definitely. They put Oreos wherever they could. 
Malamars. Did you ever have Malamars on Easter? Oh, Malamars I love. And, and, and well, peeps are okay if you put them in a microwave when you got older. But as a kid, peeps weren't that great for me. I got to tell you, but if you notice, Rick, Malamars would only be seasonal. You can never buy oh, yeah. them. You can never oh, yeah, buy them in right. the summer. They're very hard to get any other time now because I still buy Malamars for myself. You know, my Jewish friends turn me on to Malamars. Yeah, no, no, they're delicious. So during Pesach, they're like they're eating boxes of Malamars because oh yeah, every good Jewish boy got a Malamar, absolutely. And by, by the way, the, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say for now today Easter, being an adult, I bought myself one of those boxes of chocolate. Uh, uh, liquor-filled chocolates. I got 64 of them sitting here. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to eat them until I get drunk or go into a sugar coma. One of the two. <laughs> you know, it's like me. Uh, when I was a kid, I'd be eating the Oreo cookies. There were 36 cookies in a pack, 12 cookies in a single row. And they had a lot of cream then because, you know, ever since inflation, I swear they've been shrinking these Oreo cookies. I'm telling you, Rick. Uh, shrinkflation, absolutely. Everything's tiny, tiny, tiny. Shrinkflation. You're absolutely right, Rick. Oh, yeah, I, they, they, they tell you it's always because you were a kid and you had big hands. No, no, no. Those things, I could put one in my mouth. It, you know, forget it. I, things used to be huge. Now you're right. I remember going over to my Aunt Mary's house in Old Howard Beach, and she wouldn't have Oreos. She had Hydrox. Remember Hydrox? Sure, sure, sure. And I noticed that Hydrox were less sweet. They had lemon Oreos, but they had a, a more chocolatey taste. They that, had like a malt in them or something. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Hydrox actually came about before Oreos. Yeah, I, I saw the history of, of, of candy and all that, and I was watching that. Yeah, I, I know. Imagine it, if... It, 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 it must have been pissed off. <laughs> Imagine... <laughs> If it was your last meal, right? You're on death row. It's your last meal. They say, we only have Oreos or Hydrox. Which do you choose? <laughs> Cookie Monsters. And you know what the price of Oreos is now? No, I don't. Oh, I think it's about three fifty. In fact, listen to our owner-operator, uh, John Katsimatidis, in his discussion with Lydia Serrani about the ever-growing cost of Oreos. So going to talk to Bert Flickinger, who is uh going to tell us what, what the price expert. of Oreos are going to be. Oh, my goodness. Uh, my sister's stock up. Stock up. Stock up on Oreos. Corner the market. Stock up on Oreos. You see, that's the tip of the day. <laughs> and then the Chip Ahoy, Chip Ahoy's, they're going up. You know, the chocolate chip cookies. Oh, the soft chip. Yeah, sure. And the Malamars, the Malamars are probably going to skyrocket right after Easter and Pesach. They're a lot smaller, too. I just bought some, and, and they're, you know, it's like, they're like bite-sized now, you know? It's definitely shrinkage. There's no doubt about that. I'd say it's probably 20% less cream in the Oreos and maybe 150% smaller than the same time last year. Absolutely. Well, you know, as, as things like sugar go up and all that, they got to cut back. Do you remember... In the 70s, when they ran out of sugar, they had a big sugar embargo or something. For the uh, chocolate-covered uh, mints, they started using mashed potatoes in the middle, man. Wait, wait, wait. With, Yeah, sweetened with, like, you know, uh, artificial sweetener. <laughs> they didn't have enough sugar to make the inside of the, you know, the, the chocolate-covered mints that you get. You know, the, you know, the, the junior mints. So even 
the Girl Scouts because that's one of their top selling cookies when they go door to door. Even the Girl Scouts had to uh, had to put in what, what was that they substituted? No, no, it wasn't the Girl Scouts. No, no, the, the Junior Mints. Remember the Junior? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the Junior yeah, Mints. They, they started using mashed potatoes. Uh, sweetened with sh- uh, saccharin because they ran out of sugar. They didn't have any sugar in the sugar embargo. Well, I remember if you had bad breath uh, <laughs> and you had no other alternative, you had to just take one of those uh, one of those uh, chocolate mints and just like chew it real quick, and then all of a sudden, boom! It was like better than mouthwash. <laughs> wow, you have taken me down on memory lane. It is a culinary oh, delight. You- to be you talking bring us down memory lane all the time, Chris. I know, but this is this has to do with this the sacredness of Easter and everything that we associate oh, it to. It's and you know what's happened worse. You oh. know how some families have turkey on Easter. Yeah, it's now capons. What the hell is a capon? Castrated roosters. That's generally what husbands are. <laughs> Yeah. Why, why Why? did it change from, what are they, smaller? Is that it? Or Yeah, well, you know, let's face it. You're a rooster. You're going cock-a-doo-doo-doo, and then all of a sudden they remove uh, anatomically your male part. As a, as a rooster, you don't get to say, well, I identify with being a chicken. Oh, so a capon isn't just a rooster. It's a castrated rooster. Exactly. Oh, like a gelding. Okay. Yeah, like a gelding. All uh. right. Now you got it. Now I'm so glad I'm not an animal, man. <laughs> well, enjoy your Easter, what's yeah, left of it. You too, you too, Hawk. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. See that? You had to stroll down memory lane. I'm telling you, it's shrinkflation. It's really happening. I was actually looking at those cookies that I love. The Oreos. Even the double stuff Oreos, you know, double stuff. That was the whole idea. A double stuff Oreo is no longer double stuff. It's lucky if it's single stuffed. You need an electron microscope to look at the cream in between the layers of the Oreo. I'm almost tempted to get Hydrox. Yeah, yeah, Hydrox. I, look, they didn't have as much cream as the Oreo. It was less sweet than the cream in the Oreo. But it was had a more chocolatey taste. I don't know if anybody out there remembers that. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Joseph calling from Newburgh. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joseph. Curtis, I have an invitation for you. You were trying to figure out the situation in Newburgh. I have a little house. I'll make it available for a month. You or your wife and your seventeen cats. There's a sunroom, birds, your cats will have a great time. I promise you dinner every single night in a different restaurant in the city of Newburgh. Wow, I so make all happen. what is the location of that? It's in uh, Newburgh town. Right. And also, I can also provide security for you. Town of Newburgh Police about a block away from me. Around the clock security. Wow, so I can end up with all my cats come up to Newburgh, Orange County. That's right. Make it available to you for one month. The house is being restored right now. It's under construction. It'll be ready. In the summer, you can plan a month. I'll give you that for one month. I tell you what, Joseph. Come to Newburgh and save Newburgh. That enables me to walk up and down Broadway and kick some butt, right? 
do that. All right. Well, I'll, you, you, well, you listen. St- I'll even provide a car for you, free. Damn, for man. One month. Wow. You're like. I'm, not I'm making you an offer you can't refuse, Curtis. Oh, look, I love Newburgh, and I love kicking butt in Newburgh. So uh, stay on the line, Joseph. Hey, Avery, Avery, get this information to Joseph. This is almost as good as the offer that Frank Morano uh, got from the Borgata to shoot craps, unlimited craps, because he was shilling for the Atlantic City Gaming Commission, all nine casinos, as he downplayed and said it would be bad to have any casinos in New York City, real casinos, not racinos, because the temptation would be too great for him. He wouldn't be able to procure his salary to take care of his uh, beloved Rachel and Carmine. Man. And, in fact, he was teaching shooters, crap shooters this weekend, teaching them how to lose. Oh, God. Come on, come on, come on. Five, five, seven, come on, five, seven, crap out. Okay, so now I've lost another $60. This is frighteningly realistic. Okay. And he kept losing. He kept losing, and everybody was, oh, that's Frank Morano from WABC, the other side of midnight. Ooh, 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 ooh. And then he came in and said that, it, 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 it's like compared to being into some psychosexual trance. I never heard this from all the gamblers, degenerate gamblers that I've ever run into, equating sex with uh, shooting craps. Oh, man, this was the bomb. How all of a sudden, Frank Morano, that's number 42, number 42 was saying that there are sexual innuendos when you shoot craps. Uh, and there's a lot of sexual innuendo in craps, as you might imagine, as there is in gambling in general. That's why the stigma of a male virgin, you know, you know it's okay for guys uh, to have sex as much as they want, but it's not okay for females to have sex as much as they want before they're married. So the stigma of a male virgin extends to craps, too. That's why a, a guy, a man, that has never played craps before is considered bad luck. What the hell is he talking about? Ah, uh, you're not going to sleep on me. Oh, no, you're not. Because just as we started at the 12 midnight hour, we were talking about the introduction of roller disco. That's right, the wooden floor and all in the actual skating pit in Rockefeller Center at 30 Rock. There's no ice skating rink. It's been replaced by a roller disco rink, Maple Wood, until October. And with this song, Good Times by Sheik, the number one hit in the summer of 1979, the very summer that I had started the Guardian Angels, this was rocked in Coney Island. And let me give a warning to everybody because it's not just talking about situations after the fact. It's talking about preemptively letting everybody know what happens on Easter Sunday. It's not just a stroll of Fifth Avenue as women are wearing their Easter bonnets. And believe it or not, some men are too. Look, if they want to identify as a woman, I'm not going to argue with them. 
Kids running around, finding their uh, eggs that have been hidden. The cost of eggs, a dozen eggs in a grocery store or supermarket, is like almost the cost of a Fabergé egg of the days of the Czar or Tsarina. But, oh, no, if you're going down to Coney Island, Coney Island historically on Easter Sunday is a place where the gangs meet up, the Bloods, the Crips, and all hell breaks loose. It has... After the last few years, I've called the 60th Precinct, which is the precinct that covers Coney Island, all the rides, Luna Park, the Wonder Wheel, obviously the Cyclone. And I've told them the gangs are going to be flexing today. The Guardian Angels will be out there, but we need 5-0. With everything going wrong in the city, crime up in the subways, crime up in the streets, Let's hope I'm not just like the little Dutch boy putting my finger in the dike. There could be gang warfare today in Coney Island. Let's hope the authorities organize appropriately. And let's make sure the freaking cameras are working in Coney Island. Because two years ago, they weren't working either. That's why you listen to Curtis Lee. You don't just hear the here and now. You don't just hear what did occur you hear about what will occur. And I'll be back with Chris Hahn, left versus right, 3 to 5 today, and then finish up my 24-hour stint on the weekend from 9 p.m. tonight to 12 midnight.